previously on Perfect Weekly. And welcome back to Perfect Weekly. This is Ryan. I'm Jen. I'm Lady Chi. And I'm Jen's mom. Hi, y'all. <laughs> How's it going? Oh my gosh, this is so exciting. We would never ever say Snape scathes. We would say Snape said scathingly. 640,000 years ago, that third of America blew up. Boys and I girls, <laughs> there's a thing called erectile dysfunction. <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah, but there's also a thing called Petrificus Totalis. So Perfect Weekly, not only entertaining, but educational as well. <laughs> Who wants to see Hermione as a trial lawyer? As a tribal warrior? <laughs> I want to say that... Chief, like, please, I can't... Don't... You have to say only good things. I will cry if you say something negative about this scene. I love... I'm not going to say... Love I'm not scene. made of stone. I love how they plan to have sex at six. Yeah, six o'clock. I know. <laughs> My question was, when do they eat dinner? After picture, he's in the shower, and he's staring down, and he's just like, this is it. <laughs> he's having a little conversation with his friend. Today, I become a man. And then they go, is this happening? And he's like, yes. I don't yes. think he said it like that. Oh, yes, he did. He gasped it I out. Th- I think all of his concentration is elsewhere at the moment. He's like, yes. No, that like completely ruined my mental manly image. He's beating his chest. <laughs> he's ravaging her. Not, no, he's, he's not. not. Yes. He's a virgin. How many virgins can successfully ravage anybody? He's Harry Potter. Come on. He's a skinny, <laughs> awkward kid who we think has ED. No, no, no. We don't think that. You think that. Do you own a pig? No, but I do have a goat. Really? We don't have a lawnmower. What's the goat's name? Bernard. Oh my god, I'm not gonna lie. I have to- I have no idea what's going on. Somebody explain to me what just happened. Have you been here the whole time? I've been here the whole time, but I can't remember what was just said. <laughs> oh, Vicodin. Snape! I love him, oh. and he's good, and we're gonna find out he's good, and-, and- there Jen. is gold at the end of the rainbow, darn it! So, and everybody just looks at me like I'm retarded, but I laugh, and it's hysterical <laughs> to me. Poor Bernard was <laughs> struck and killed by a bolt of lightning. <laughs> okay, you guys are the ones who obviously laugh during people's funerals. I wore a really big hat. And I run after my car! <laughs> I've just finished taking a test on what's your seduction style. I have got to take that test. I don't know what that noise was that came out of Gambin's mouth, but I think it caused some women in the audience to become infertile. What happens is as people get older, their eyebrows fall off and they don't come back. Oh, I love the social intercourse so varied. It gets me so excited for the guy I married. This is like the Manhattan Project. Superman is Moses. Honestly, don't you people read? Okay. Superman is not Moses. Moses is dependent on Aaron. See, Batman depends on Robin. If you're going to do that. Moses the guy that was lost in the desert for like four years that just okay. conference and crime fighting ability there's like auditoriums with movies that you can go in and sit and watch not while on the toilet there's no way we have wank <laughs> we don't care enough about the fans of to have wank for the god Ryan, if you ever 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 make me cover a story with butt sex babies i will kill you jen got pregnant on a boat you know how hard it would be to impregnate yourself on a boat Don't take offense to this, guys, but you guys are the most dysfunctional group of people. These are really stupid people. Like, I have a lot to learn from these people. And Jen's like, yeah, I like looking at female butts more, too. So what? Women are beautiful. Doesn't make me gay. (laughs) Sorry. I'm so sorry. Oh, come here. I'm so sorry. Come here. (laughs) I just just kicked my dog in the head. And now, Butterfick Weekly.
again a podcast quite like this one that brought us together and started its own forum list where the hosts are all our friends all the stories told by Jen Will it drive Ryan round the bend? Part of it weekly, where the story never ends. Mm-hmm. And welcome back to Part of It Weekly. This is Ryan. I'm she. This is Rena. I'm Jen. I'm Kizzo. Who? Oh! <laughs> Hey, hold the phone now. Keza got stepped on. Keza, say hello. Hello. <laughs> we have Jen, too. But she said, this is Jen. We're like, crap, we recast her. Dead coming. Okay, can I just tell you? Too. Jen is at Yellowstone. What Yellowstone is, this will help explain it. 640,000 years ago, that third of America blew up <laughs> in this big volcanic <laughs> eruption. And Yellowstone is the crater of that volcano. So now that y'all all know this, the volcano could erupt at any moment and people in Mexico would die. Obviously, Canada won't exist anymore. Like, the geysers going off and, like, the lava moving under the park. It doesn't have running water anywhere. All the toilets go in and they're literally holes down the mountain. Awful. I can't even tell you the experience. And anyway, I buy this book, Deaths in Yellowstone. It's a novel-length book. And it tells about every single person who has ever died in the Montana, Wyoming, Yellowstone area since, like, 1902. And I read it cover to cover. I was terrified to, like, get out of the car. Kid was walking in the pavement, and suddenly lava moved under it, and the pavement, like, ceased to exist, and the kid and his dog died. Like, it talks about the dog burning to death. So I'm reading, and then I get to the animal section. Like how people have died from their stupidity of like going up and like petting the grizzly bears. These are really stupid people. Like I have a lot to learn from these people. Yellowstone, which is apparently the death trap of the United States. It is the death trap. It is going to be the cause of the United States not existing anymore. I have a question. Where's your sister? (laughs) She's there. Why is she there? We left her there. Yeah, because if she dies, at least she'll die, like, quickly. We'll all die from the fumes, like, hours later. Say a moment of silence right now for, for Robert from Spellcast, who lives in California, who will be one of the first to go. Are you on the bottom part or the top part? Dead smack in the middle. Oh. Well, sorry, dude. Your sister, unfortunately, would be incinerated instantly. I don't think lava incinerates people. I think you just melt. It's like a ticking time bomb. They have videos of elk ramming into cars with their massive antlers. We stopped to get a picture of this gorgeous sunset. And finally, they've convinced me to get out of the damn car. So I get out of the car to take this picture of this gorgeous scenery, and I hear this and I'm like, I'm not hungry, so it's not me. There was this freaking 300-pound grizzly bear and her two baby cubs across the freaking street. Hold on. You thought it was your stomach? I didn't know what it was. So I have this lens so big, and I'm not going to leave it there because it was like $8,000. So I'm just stuck there with this grizzly bear, and it like kind of looks at me, and I hear my dad, Jennifer, walk slowly back to the car. And I'm like, I'm not leaving the lens. Well, evidently in my book, it says that if you see a bear, that you're supposed to get down in like a fetal position with your head between your hands. Instead of walking to the car and leaving my lens, I curl up in a fetal position. 
delicious. The bear just kept eating for like, I don't know, four hours. Finally, they started going back down the hill. Oh, it was so fun. That was the coolest part. Do you realize how rare that is to be able to get close enough to get good photographs of a you bear? You took a picture of the bear? Yeah, when it went back down the hill a little bit. Yeah, and my lens is really powerful. Like, I got some, like, of its nose hairs. It was awesome. Oh, but I saw nuns. What? I've never seen a nun before, and they were there in, like, a tour bus. It was like a tour bus of nuns, and they were wearing, like, pant nun suits. I've never seen that. They were Chinese nuns, and they all wore massive-sized crosses on their stomachs. The busload of Chinese nuns. I learned all these interesting and frightening things. Like, all of this really interesting. Why are you laughing? <laughs> Jen is having a very bad month. I called Jen the other day, and she and James went to get tires for their car because they're going to Yellowstone. And she, Her dad is sick. She's taking care of her dad, and she's doing the business. And I think she's, like, building a shed. She's doing all this crap. And she's, like, 18 months pregnant. So she's at a restaurant, and Jen is just getting really tired in this trimester. So I'm talking to her as her face is, like, going forward into the appetizer plate. So I, like, jostle her awake. So she, now she's up. They're leaving the restaurant, and they have to go over to the tire place. But she's so dazed and so confused. She wanders into, like, a Staples. It's, like, wandering around the chair department. It was really... It was, like, I'm listening to this, and it's like when Grandpa starts getting Alzheimer's. It's, like, one of those very sad moments. But it's Jen, and she's bright. I don't know. So Jen will hopefully be back with us very soon, maybe. But we have another Jen, so, you know... She's having her own death, baby. I swear. <laughs> well, for Jen, it's <laughs> gonna... <laughs> well, it, Jen, it, 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 can I just say this too? Uh, Jen had offered to be our photographer for for my wedding with Danielle. We don't want to do it because we, we want her to be able to come to the wedding and enjoy herself, not have to like, be lugging a camera on her back. But some small part of us is like, oh god, because I guess when you go to photographers for weddings, the first question is, if I hire you now, what happens to me if you die? It happened to Ray from our forum three weeks before her wedding. Her florist committed suicide. Like, the, oh guess, my god! Yeah, it, and she originally was heartbroken. The man died, and then when she found out it was suicide, she's like, you bastard! My wedding's away from... So she's like, I'm not saying Jen's gonna die, but you you know something will happen. Like, she'll show up, but the camera will be in Switzerland or something, you know? So, and she'll have, like, a little, like, camera from Walgreens. <laughs> she'll be like, like, something will happen. For Jen's defense, you probably are better off that she's a yeah. guest and not a photographer. That's the thing. It's like, you know what? It's, it's great that you're a photographer, but we actually would like you to actually, you know, be able to get drunk at our wedding, because at that point, you'll really... She will no longer be pregnant. <laughs> Exactly. And, and the kid will be with James for the week. What's that? I just realized I'm going to be 21 at your wedding. Houston, we have a problem. Oh, God. <laughs> Lord help us all. What's going to happen is we're going to be in the midst of the wedding and everything's going to be going well. And then she will stand up and she'll be wobbly. And I'll be looking at her like, is she all right? What's happening? What's, what's going on? And she'll be, then she'll wobble on her other foot and then she'll kind of like even out a little bit. And I'm like, oh God, this is what happened with the boat. This is what happened right before the boat. This is what happened right before the boat. And then the she'll. And will say, call the paramedics. She has alcohol poison. <laughs> no, and then she'll she'll lift a glass and she'll look at me and she'll give me like an evil death glare and she'll slowly pick up a spoon and tap it very like maniacally <laughs> against the glass. Hello, I'm Lady Chi. And everyone will be like, 
what is she like like is she royalty with it? lady Chi? i've never heard that before and she's like i have something i've wanted to say and danielle will squeeze my hand and like break my pinky and like oh god oh god oh god and then what will literally happen is you'll see melinda on one side and tina on the other slowly creeping up behind It'll be, it'll be sister. I love this. Like, I want to get married today just to see what will happen. It's going to go fine. The DFW table is going to be hilarious. It's going to be so fun. Well, seriously, my wedding will be like the United Nations. I'll have the family group, the work group, and the Puffwa group. And none of these groups, it'll be like Russia, China, and Japan right there at the table. (laughs) You know, because they all speak different languages. The Puffwa table will be doing a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we will. And welcome back to Potterpick Weekly, everyone. This is uh, Lady Chi, and we're podcasting from Ryan's wedding. Hi, Ryan. No, it's gonna happen. No, we'll be up at the at the gazebo, and we'll be like, I do. I do. And we'll, like, slowly turn our heads and glare at Jen. And Jen will look back and be like, bye. And she'll just get up and go over to the bar. Ryan, let me tell you this right now. You are not going to remember a minute of it. I know that. I went to my friend Megan's wedding a couple weeks ago. And I don't know any of Megan's other friends. So it's, like, Danielle and I. And the thing is, Danielle is used to going to work at 9 p.m. and going to bed at 6 o'clock in the morning. So the wedding is at, when the, what the hell's the wedding? The wedding's at, like, noon on a Sunday. So for Danielle, it's, like, 1 o'clock in the morning. Morning. And she's at this wedding and she's like holding on to me so she won't tip over. So we're at the wedding and I'm like, oh, who the hell are we going to sit with? But I knew this kid. Literally, he's the funniest kid on the face of the planet. He's this little round guy and he's bubbly. So I see him. So I go, his name's Chris. So I go and sit next to him and his girlfriend's there and everything. And at this wedding, these photographers, I don't even think I saw the bride and groom after they got married because all they did was take pictures for like seven hours. You know, they go inside, they cut the cake, they run outside, they take pictures. They come back in, they do the dance, they run outside, they and they were just outside taking pictures the whole time. So finally you see the groom come in and he like slides across the dance floor, grabs a beer. I think he downed the entire beer in one gulp. And then he's running back outside the door. And as he's running outside the door, he grabs his suit jacket off of the table and just runs outside. Chris, the cue's with me, looks over. He's like, hmm. And he points out the door. He's like, I think he's just like taking the rest of the day off. Like, I think he's taking his <laughs> oxygen. It was literally the funniest thing I've ever seen. He's like, I think he's calling it a day. So. Oh, no. Oh, no. Let's get down to... Our um our podcast. We are revisiting Melinda Leo. We are returning to Melinda Leo. Now I just because have to the say- boat did not get made fun of enough the first time. Yes. we're coming back. Well, the- <laughs> okay. I don't think there's not even a boat. In oh this one, yes, so. there is. Yes, there is. We are revisiting Melinda Leo now. Just to recap, in case you're joining us, we had done after the end. We did after the end yes. in like 16 episodes because that now we're like, okay, we're going to take chapters one through 40 in the first half of, half of this episode. Back then we're like, why don't we cover the first three paragraphs next week and then we'll see how it goes. So we did 16 weeks on after the end and then we had seven weeks until the release of Deathly Hallows. So I'm like, why not do the seventh Horcrux? We'll do that. Get that out before we um, before the canon's over, and we'll see if there's any similarities between Deathly Hallows and Seventh Horcrux. And I don't recall <laughs> well, any and, off the top of my and head. And also, we picked that one because the leaked book scandal that, that the, the people were saying there. No, it was not not the the actual book. People oh, were right. saying, "Oh, I found a leaked right. copy of Deathly Hallows," and if you downloaded it, it, was actually the text of the Seventh Horcrux. You're right, and what it actually and so happened that was, was part of the reason why we picked that. Why we, we had, picked the story? Well, actually, I think it helped. We had picked it. 
And then I was about to email Melinda and ask her if she wanted to do it. And that was the day that the scandal broke. I'm like, crap, I should email her now. So I actually emailed her and it worked out. But it was right around the, it was was literally around the same time. And as we know, Melinda got a couple things right. I can't remember. Like, I think chapter 18 was identical in both versions, but you know, that was, that was unfortunately, um, plagiarism revert on Joe Rowling's part. Joe just completely ripped up Melinda off there. But, um, so we, so we covered Melinda and of course there was, um, We covered Melinda. There's the infamous boat episode. That's right. There was Jen. There was she. It was Kool-Aid. There were boats involved. And poor Melinda. Now, I have to tell you, since we've done this whole thing, I've gotten to know Melinda. We we talk all the time. And I had dinner with her. Very lovely woman. You know, great family. She's like June Cleaver a little bit. Not really, but kind of like, well, not really, but whatever. So poor Melinda. She gets our podcast. And after listening to, I think, the first couple of episodes, she started drinking heavily in the mornings. Usually she would get perfect <laughs> weekly. She'd pour herself, you know, a bottle of rum. She'd just pour it back in the bottle, drink it from the bottle, and it, it just wasn't good. So Melinda is back, and I just want to say, oh, you're uncovered. We know you now. Melinda Leo, I just have to tell you, it, it's been occurring to me throughout the day. Whenever anyone thinks of Harry protection, they think of Melinda. Now, Jules is our resident Neville protector. You know, she will take a bullet for Neville Longbottom. Melinda passes herself off as the ultimate Harry lover. Not my Harry, damn it. I will attack you with pots and pans if you try and get to him. And I have to tell you, reading these stories, I think it's all a front. Because Melinda is one of those people that she loves the character of Harry. But she get, but the best Harry that she can write is abused Harry. It's it's like literally like this kid has everything in the world happen to him in her stories. <laughs> it gets worse and worse and worse for him, and then like he loses his wallet, and then like he bends he finds his wallet, he bends over to pick it up, and he gets run over by a car. Like everything happens to this poor kid, and then in public she's like, "Oh, not my Harry! You must treat my Harry well." And I'm like gripping the edge of my chair, like. Melinda. You know what I did recently? I was mocking her about that, saying how she says she protects Harry and then she goes and does all this stuff to him and said, I would never do that. And she comes up, then I put out in the next chapter and she's like, you had him attacked and he fell down the stairs. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's like, like the only person who I think has been meaner to Harry has been Aspen in the sunlight and she poked his eyes out and like stabbed him with needles. But like, that's it. Like you you have the needle poking and the eye poking and the in the ah part, and oh, then like no. directly to the oh, left. No. I've, I've seen authors be meaner to Harry than I, than Melinda Leo. You uh, know, no. some people yes. doom him to sleep with Snape for the rest of his life. So well, just so. I found much to that during my snarry. <laughs> <laughs> they are so mean to Harry. Those authors, it's awful. I know. He's so always just, like abused or raped or well, something. Well, let's put it this way. Her. Melinda is the queen of abused Harry angst. It is. Harry, Real, yeah. Realistic well, she, Harry angst. Yes, yes, that's the thing. She just angst the right way. It's like, I'm going to walk all over you, Ryan. Hold on, just a second. Oh, go she just angst the right way because, like, some authors, when they do angst, especially, like, if you're reading fix that God Lover Jen has recommended to you, <laughs> oh, like, they do angst, like, just to do angst. They just, it's like, you know, Everything goes wrong, and it's very it, – it's a little bit like watching Doctor Who. You know, it's very, like, just too much angst all the time and very heavy, and nobody's life – It gets cheesy after a while. 
Yeah, exactly. And it gets really hard to read, and uh, you're like, oh, it's cheesy. And this is like, this is good angst because it's angsty, and yet there's moments of light. And then after you think that everything's going to get better, zoom, you're back to like heavy angst again. I, oh, I could, Melinda Leo's writing style just makes me salivate. She's so good. Well, the thing with Melinda. No, it's like real life. It's like real life angst. Yeah. It's like Morton Salt angst. And the thing with Melinda, too, is, well, okay, we read this, okay, you know, here's my entire, this is me in the fandom. I read only canon stuff, only Harry Ginny, only canon-esque fics that Joe herself could have written. Then we start the podcast. Then I, and that includes the one where Harry just lays on the couch the entire thing. That would just be Joe on an off day, but that includes that one. (laughs) So then we read after the end. And then we read the seventh Horcrux. So my only real reading experience with Melinda's stuff has been when I've been in that little comfort zone. That You know, the canon, and Harry's upset, and he has to play Quidditch, and Snape is being mean to him, and something in Ron and Hermione, you're looking at each other. And I just have to point out here, too, Melinda gave Harry his first erection in these first 19 chapters. I just want to highlight that. So anyway, <laughs> so we, so we, we, you know, we... She has boys! She has boys! You don't think that she sees erections? <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to talk about Melinda Leo and erections in the same sentence. Thank you. So it was Harry. It was it was the scene where Harry was staring at Ginny, and he's like, and he had to readjust his shorts. Like, like, oh my god, that was great. And then in the author's notes, she talks about Kim Possible, and her little boy is is saying something about why is Kim Possible's shirt shirt, you know, her little midi shirt, you know, why would yeah. she wear her shirt too short, you know, and how he, how her little boy is so clueless, you know, that that's actually the style for girls, yeah, you know, exactly. small clothes. Yeah. I just love that. But I just love the fact where she threw the line and where he had to adjust himself. I'm like, oh, Melinda, you're right in straight from my heart. But then anyway, um, <laughs> what did I say that out loud? Was that, I apologize. <laughs> you did. <laughs> I apologize. You know what? I actually, now that we've gone down the directions, I actually have no idea where I was going with that. Melinda. I don't know where you're going with that either. Melinda Leo, <laughs> poor Melinda Leo is going to be sitting there with her bottle. No, no, I remember where I'm going. It's I remember where I'm so going. Melinda, good. Melinda, step away from the rum. This is where it all comes home. So, <laughs> okay, so I left. So I, I we stopped the seventh Horcrux. So then I read A Year Like None Other. Very well written story. Harry Snape Adoption. That was new. Then I read Naked Quidditch Match. That was newer. Then I read <laughs> Nightmare of Futures Past. Harry is a bagel. I read uh, be Coven of Echoes. Harry is a spy. And Ginny is... Don't drink the water, Ginny. Don't drink the water. Then after... What, what the hell did we do after that? After that, we did... Um, we did uh, the Dangerverse series. So, yeah. complete AU series. You know, the Danger Granger and, you know, the Cubs and all that. You know, they're running around. So, we, so that was new. And then we did Paradigm of Uncertainty. Now, I have to tell you, I'm not sure if you, if you read Paradigm Hi. of Uncertainty. Harry has sex... Like every chapter in every room of the house, and there's a lot of rooms in that house. And then the house blows up. Then he rebuilds the house, and they have sex all over again. So you know, <laughs> so that was new. So now I started reading. And, and Mo- wait, stop! You missed um, you missed Lady Cheesecake. I, I read Lady Cheesecake Marauder era. So Harry and Ginny, not so much. You know, there you go. Yeah, she's sitting here like, yeah. <laughs> Cut to my wedding, lifting the glass. Bang, bang, bang. Right, you. No. And she, reads, and she reads the summary line of discovering Lily, and, and, and my work people are like, the hell? So, anyway. So if, I'm, I, so if I would finish discovering Lily, I would make you read it, but it's never going to be finished. It's just going to sit on the shelf. 
die. <laughs> it's going to be my wedding gift. So anyway. I can tell you who did it. I know I who did it. I don't tell me until no, I know no. what they did. No, let's just not talk about discovering Lily. Don't tell me until... Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Gen 2, Disarming Lady Chi since this evening. So I, so I started reading Power of Emotion again, and I have to tell you, as I was reading it... now. My comfort zone is no longer canon-esque stuff. My comfort zone is probably post-canon stuff, the immediate end of the canon, like year eight. Like, that's my comfort zone. But I, I went back here, and it's year five, Harry's angsty, Ron and Hermione. Six. Year, year six, six. Year six. Year yeah. six. It's post-year five, you know, and it's, 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 the, it's, the, it's the year six, year seven combo, and it's, you know, Sirius is dead, and Harry is sad, and Dumbledore is looking old, and, you know, Harry, I'm sorry, Ron and Hermione are looking at each other, and they're like, their bodies are changing them. And I'm reading this, I'm like, because <sighs> I'm, like, the plane ride has ended, and I've circled I'm back, and I've landed. Home. I'm going home. <laughs> so I have to, so reading this tonight, it was so much fun, because I feel like I've been working for the last year and it's not like i didn't enjoy the stories i really did but it's me trying new things it's like when you, it's like going to all these new restaurants and having all the, this exotic cuisine it's really good but sometimes it's nice to have a cheeseburger and not have to be like "Ooh, what's that and you realize isn't you're it, eating isn't it though, isn't it actually nice to be able to just sit down and read you know like for example the 19 chapters and then i couldn't do gen 2 notes yeah <laughs> it's like I'm sitting here and I'm like, ha, she made an erection joke. But it's yeah, it's it's not like I'm like, ooh, this is weird. Harry and Ginny together. What would Joe think of that? <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. But I so, started out trying to do Gen Two notes and and I couldn't. Yeah, because it's not like there's this wackiness ensuing. It's oh, this is how Harry. Well, it's like is. trying to snark your favorite sweater. Like this is the thing that I I was telling um I told Melinda Leo this we we were talking about doing um when we did uh how uh the seventh Horcrux I said power of emotion and curse of the damned are my sick day fix like when I'm not feeling very good and my you know whatever I go back and I read these fix because it's like putting on your favorite sweater or you know sitting under your favorite afghan because it's just it feels very warm and cozy. Can I tell you? <laughs> P S. I'm not sure if you're familiar. What? I'm not sure if you're familiar with P.S., one of our peons. I'm not sure if you've yeah. ever run into her. Yeah, you've a couple times. Okay. Um, P.S. Yeah. P.S. Now, as we know, oh, um, and I know that she and I were talking about P.S. before the podcast. She may wish to say a few words. It can be like a pre-death eulogy. Um, P.S., you know, as we know, not the most canon girl in the room. She was reading Power of Emotion last night, and she sends me a message, and it opens with something like, don't tell anyone. I'm like, oh <laughs> where do you need me to bury it? And she's like, P- P- Power of Emotion, it's like the best fic ever. <laughs> but she's like keeping her voice down when she's saying it. I'm like, okay, I don't think anyone else thinks that because it's not like it has a cult following or anything. So <laughs> I promise yeah. not to tell anybody. And as I'm saying that story, I'm like, oh, yes, crap, it's like my, she's like my alter ego slash twin separated at birth person because <laughs> like we're we're we are very scarily similar in a lot of ways and wildly different in other ways yes and i was about to say <laughs> yeah very different as like remember when i put you in charge of the library <laughs> <laughs> she sits down and like when when ps sits down to write 
I just laugh and laugh and laugh because like she'll send me a message. She'll be like, have you ever run into this problem? And I'll be like, no. She'll be like, why? And I'll be like, because I don't think about that stuff. <laughs> she, like, <laughs> I just like, I think I've put too many people in Hogwarts. And I'm like, does it matter? <laughs> She's like, well, yes. And I'm like, okay. one day she was waking up because she was in her car and she realized she gave the name of a character. And it's this obscure character that was supposed to be, I think, in like the Tom Riddle era, but she put him too far back. It's no one in their life would catch this. She like killed four people on the highway to raise home to change it. Just in I case. It's, it's like, oh, you gotta love P.S. It's, it, she's hysterical. Um, so P.S. is apparently a big name fan of, of Power of Motion Curse. She's a, a big, a big name fan. Yeah. I actually got around to reading, um, I want to plug something real fast. I got around to reading Horace uh, Slughorn in the Circle of... Is it the Circle of Stones? Circle of... It's, help me it's, out. It's, it's, definitely got, it's definitely circles involved. Yeah. It's, well, it's her circle fic. Her yes. circle fic. Uh, Found that, in the Powerfic Weekly Library, powerficweekly.com slash library. Yes. Um, it is a Horace Slughorn slash original character. Um, Leonide is his name. And um, I don't like slash not a big fan, but um, I love the story. It's well-crafted. It's an easy read start to finish. It's very intriguing. It's very gripping. It's um, a little bit like sitting down with a good like Agatha Christie novel, but with Horace Slughorn <laughs> and um, Plaid Slytherin, The Circle of Stones. Go read that fic. Leave her a review. Tell her she's awesome because she is. There you go. <laughs> I just wanted to throw that out there because, as we know, when you ask Lady Chi, what did you think of that thing I just showed you? She's like, it's very nice. I like it very much. It's like kind of like Rena's line. So she, <laughs> we, were t- we were talking earlier. She's like, I love this. Everyone must read it. I'm like, ooh, th- that was very genuine. Let's put that on the podcast. So we'll, we'll well, yeah. I, I do occasionally read things that I enjoy. It happens really. No, I'm kidding. I do enjoy a lot of what I was reading. <laughs> But most times she just snarks things. She does. She I does. do just snark things. It's horrible. I'm a horrible, terrible person. But On the that, point of the no. podcast, <laughs> no, the podcast, like, this is my point, though, is the podcast is about, like, reading and analyzing and critiquing fan fiction yes. and it, having a good conversation about it. So uh, coming at it from that angle, I'm going to say things differently than I would if I was just sitting down to, no, actually, no. I'm lying. I just talk like this all the time. <laughs> <laughs> she monologues frequently. No, yeah, honestly, yeah, she's my beta. That's why I can't finish my story. I'm so scared of her. <laughs> Shut up. She reviewed my fic, so and Melinda had to talk me back into writing it again. I'm like, I can't write this anymore. I'm a terrible author. And Melinda was like, no, no, you have to keep going. <laughs> I'm like, I suck. I suck. <laughs> Well, the funniest thing in the world is Melinda wrote something, and I, 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 she definitely didn't ask me to be. I definitely, like, I was like, send it to me now, damn it. So she sent me the chapter of what she was writing, and I'm reading it, and I'm keeping in my mind, okay, we can't have a repeat of the boat. We can't have a repeat of the boat. We can't have a repeat of the boat. And I really, really, really liked what she wrote, and there was one scene where I think she kind of buried her lead. Like, there was a really powerful moment. And she's really good at, as we'll talk about tonight, she's really good at, like, the one-liners that really get you. And I felt like she buried it. So I'm like, why don't you just separate that and make that, like, a little bit more, um, like, put, like, a little beat in there so you stop. And she did it. And and she did everything I said she should do, and I thought it was really good. And, the, and there was one problem. There was one comma that she put in there. And I'm like, oh, I don't think you need that comma, because I think if you have the comma in, it changes the meaning of the sentence, and it made me scratch my head, and it kind of took away from the power. Why don't you take the comma out? 
You know, she's done everything I suggested. Every this is why I can't be a beta. Everything I suggested. I'm like, okay. And I read her next draft of it, and the comma was still in there. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, maybe you didn't get my message about the comma. She's like, no, I did. I I, I want to keep the comma in. I'm like, oh, okay. And I just kind of sit there. I'm staring at. Her. I'm like. Why would that be? <laughs> it's like, we can't. I'm like, no, this isn't going to. I'm like, poor Melinda's like ripping her. So I sent her a thing later. I'm like, if you'd ever like me to read your stuff, feel free. If you have any hair left that you haven't pulled out of your head. Like, I feel, I have to feel like Perfect Weekly is destroying this poor woman's life. And she's so nice and so normal. But, um. She's so nice. And so well, you should, you should hear some of the stuff that I do to Kez's. And I'm just like, well, did you get that? And she's like, yeah, I'm keeping it. <laughs> no, and I think I actually tried to take the comma out, and she put it back in. Like we're like fighting over this goddamn comma. It's the funniest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I, in the world. you know what? I never. I commas are so beta rant for a moment. Okay, commas are like the bane of my existence because <laughs> people stick them in the weirdest places because they've had some English teacher somewhere tell them that every time you take a pause when you speak, that's when you need a comma. And that is not the case. All right. <laughs> because she's getting a little angry about commas right now. No, places. you do not need a comma every time you take a, a pause. <laughs> what was Jen's comment one time? She's No, someone taught Jen to put commas every time you breathe. <laughs> Jen's asthmatic. <laughs> so she had a comma every time you every word. And we're like, what the hell are you doing? I can't even read this. It was a comma every You word. need commas to set aside clauses. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not just clauses. It's, well, not um, just clauses. It's, it's independent, independent clauses. Independent well, clauses. Like, if, you, if it's an independent clause, if you're separating independent clauses, you need a semicolon. If you are... If you're, con- if you're connecting two clauses that depend on each other to make sense, then you need a comma. What's funny is, is that I can't define any of this with words, but if I'm sitting down to do it, yeah. I know exactly when a comma needs to go in, and a colon needs to go in, and a semicolon needs to go in. Can I just tell you, <laughs> yeah. at my office, we have these new people who are in charge, and they made us take. They're signing us up for all of the, It's like we do serious work, and they're signing us up for all these like third-grade classes that we have to take. They made us uh-huh. take a, a grammar class, and it's like what commas do and what and I thought this was going to be the stupidest thing in the world, but half of the people in my office didn't know what the comma did. So we're taking it, and we're, so I, I now know the proper use of a semicolon. It's the funniest thing in the world, and I'm paid like 25 bucks an hour to take the damn class. But I'm like, okay. But it was, it, it's amazing how much stuff you forget and how much stuff like a yeah. grader could teach you sometimes. Well, problem like, with, the problem with Kez's commas, though, is that she has these massive long sentences, and she uses tons of. <laughs> Tons of conjunctions. I know. And, that she, and if she doesn't use commas, then she has all these ideas that aren't set aside. And then all these yeah, ideas. I'm Australian. We just talk and talk and talk and we run everything together and we talk very fast and that's how we talk. So that's how I write. That's how I do it. See? Oh, my God. That was awesome. <laughs> Oh my really god. Like, Why? Hold I'm, on. Hold on. Let's drive the ship back. Why are we talking about commas? Because we were talking gonna... about Linda Leo and how she had a comma in her fic that didn't belong there. Follow the screen. <laughs> then, then I felt awful. There was a, there was a scene where a character, like I couldn't, like I wanted to know what the character was doing. It was it was like he said, she said, and I didn't know what he like. I wanted to know what he was doing, or was he upset, or was he sad, or how was he reacting to this? So I said something like, "You need more description, just right there." She wrote like two paragraphs describing the setting of the room. Like, there was a couch in the far corner overlooking a large window, and outside there was the pasture, and the pasture went off. And I'm like, that's no. very nice. But I felt awful, because you can tell she put, like, three days of her life into making this the perfect dramatic. I'm like, oh, um, 
I meant, is he happy? <laughs> like you can tell, she's like, she's like literally sitting there and she's pouring herself the rum, and, it's, and her kids are like, "Why is mommy drunk?" <laughs> it's like I'm just drunk. No, you know what, Ryan? I think you are giving yourself simultaneously too much credit and not enough credit. Yeah. <laughs> but like, you have to like beta reading is a really. It's something that you have to learn how to do really well. You have to have a couple of really good betas, and then you can kind of figure out, like, how to say things. And apparently I haven't learned that to stop people from writing. (laughs) (laughs) Keza has, like, a self-confidence fracture, and she just goes to small amounts of therapy. I don't understand. It's a nice review. Has anyone ever seen the movie um, Heart and Souls with um, Robert Downey Jr.? Yeah. No. Yes. He's a small. He's a bit. What happened is there's a bunch of people like Alfre Willer. I can't think of her name. It's the woman from Star Trek. She's really famous. Um, Alfre Woodward. Woodward. Alfre Woodward. Um, there, it, long story short, it's a bunch of people on a bus, and it's like 1955, and the bus driver's God. looking over at the next car driving. Well, thanks for giving away the ending, Keza. So the, the bus driver's <laughs> looking over at like a man like grabbing a woman's thigh in the car driving next to them and he's not paying attention to the road and he drives off a bridge. So everyone in the bus is killed. And what happens is as their souls leave their body, they're trapped in the inside the body of a baby who's born on the side of the road. Like the father pulls the car over, rushes into the hospital, and the baby's born. So these ghosts are stuck with this baby who, as he grows up, he sees his imaginary friends. And they can talk to him and he can see them, but no one else can. So by the time the kid's like 10 years old, he's completely screwed up because he only wants to play with his imaginary friends and the adults are all concerned about him and he has all these developmental issues. So the ghosts are like, we can't do this. We have to make it so he can't see us anymore. So they for they, they tell him they're going away and they hide themselves so he can't see them. And he's so upset. His friends are gone and he, and he hates them for leaving them. So he grows up to be this cold-hearted stock-broking bastard, and it's Robert Downey Jr. So, lo- long story short, when he's, like, 35 years old, he's he has failed relationships, and his whole life is, you know, everything is... The emotion's been sucked out of his life. The bus driver is now an angel, and the bus driver comes back and says, okay, guys, it's time to go. And, like, it's been, like, 35 freaking years. What do you mean it's time to go? They're like, well, we I left you around to, you know, get your life in order. And they're like, well, you never told us that. We've been following this guy around for the last 35 years. He's like, well, I can only give you like another day to get all, find your boyfriend that you never told him you loved him. And they have to put their life in order. So the long story short is they reappear to Robert Downey Jr. because they need him to like maneuver around to do stuff. And he sees them in his car and he crashes the car. And then he has to like break someone out of prison. And he has to do all these. So by the end of this movie, Robert Downey Jr., like his life has been ruined. And like he's been arrested five times and his car is destroyed and he's lost all his money. And I can't help but feel that that's what I'm doing to Melinda <laughs> over the course of this podcast. And it's like, she's like, oh, I'd love to be on your podcast. And then she's drinking heavily because I'm annoying. And I'm monologuing and she's like slapping herself and it's awful. So, Melinda, I raise my glass to you. Well, I shouldn't raise a glass to you. Melinda, thank Tina you so much. Raise a glass. You know what? Tina. She's going to kill me. <laughs> I'm back, by the way. Hi, hey, Yay. Okay. Welcome back. Sorry about that. Okay. The real estate guy just like showed up at the house. And we were like, okay, you're not supposed to show up here. This late at night. And he's like, well, I told you I'd come before 9 p.m. And then it really freaks people out because they don't expect – it's just an apartment. They don't expect to come in and it's like, wow, somebody actually still lives here. Oh, yeah. yeah. You like you take off for a couple hours. Okay. I get you. Yeah. But this guy, he's just like, no, you can stay. And so they show up at the house and I answer the door and the people are like, 
What? Hi, it's nice to meet you. I hate your closets. I can see how that could be somewhat weird. I know. Sad, sadly enough, you haven't missed anything. Yeah, I didn't fix it because we were still talking about Melinda's drinking problem. Oh, God. I, could, I knew I was going to do this. I knew I was going to do this. I'm like, be nice to Melinda. It has to be an uplifting experience. All right. Well, let's get down to the chapters. Now, I'll be the first to admit that my reading time got shot for the week. I had meant to read to chapter 19, and I only made it as far as, like, I think chapter 9 or chapter 10. So I'm going to comment. I've read the fic before. I've read both fics before. Um, so I'm going to talk about the stuff I read tonight, but I also I'll, this stuff I remember that comes up and there's some other stuff I'm fuzzy on, so I'm going to read that all for next week. I will start because this is one of my favorite moments in fanfic, and it's one of the reasons why I love this character so very, very much. And this actually takes place in the third chapter when we find out about the Howler yes. that Jenny has sent to Harry. And, and yes. that right there is why I love Jenny Weasley as a character, because that is something that she would do. Yeah. Because she, her personality is so much like her mother's that, you know, that's something, and especially like, I know I'm one, I fly off the handle all the time. And, you know, I'm one of those people where I have to get mad, I have to just blow up, and then I burn off real quick. You know, I have a very short fuse, and it's it's not very long once it's lit either. And so, you know, but I, I you know, that's kind of the way I've always pictured that character, to have that kind of spitfire kind of aspect to her personality, and... I love that. And that moment, I think Melinda captured her perfectly. You know, I think it was just awesome. And she was so strong and such a, a dynamic character from the very beginning of the story. I really, really yeah. love the way that Melinda writes Jenny. Well, she's Molly Weasley's daughter. Too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I think that's part of the reason why it, Melinda makes a really strong case in, in each of her stories for why a stronger case, I think, than J.K. Rowling does a I don't know why, because J.K. Rowling wasn't writing a romance story. I don't know. Anyway, um, but Melinda Leo makes a better case for Jenny because she, in her fix, both of them, Jenny just kind of, every time Harry starts being stupid, she just starts, she just snaps him out of it, you know? Just gives him a good, hard, pervert, like proverbial slap to the face and is like, come back to Earth, and he kind of does, and that's... I love that about I'm picturing Jenny. I'm picturing two scenes from Order. I'm picturing the scene um, with the Easter eggs where Ginny is just Harry's equal. And she's like, okay, well, let's get through this. Let's talk about that. And she's not fan. She's not fangirling him. She's not, she's not Ron Hermione. She's not the person who's known him forever and has this established relationship. Ginny's really the outsider to Harry. And I think that's really helpful because when you're really upset – if you go to your best friend, your best friend is going to be, well, I told you so, or your best friend is going to have an established history with your problem. Sometimes it's really helpful to talk to someone who's just not involved and can give you unbiased advice. So for Harry, that's really Ginny in this because he's not close to her really at the beginning of this fic. So when he needs to cry, he's not going to cry around Hermione. He's not going to do it around Ron. He's going to do it around Ginny. So I thought that component was really helpful. And the other thing which jumped out at me was, I remember um, we covered, ironically, Seventh Horcrux before we did this one. And we said at the time that Melinda, that, that was a really tough thing for Melinda to do because you have um, Half-Blood Prince really, here's the plot. It's going to be about these Horcruxes and here's where Harry has to go and here's where he's going to start out and the, you're going to the wedding in chapter three. So the, the, the pick was like preset for Melinda. She really didn't have a lot of maneuverability. And one of the things that jumped out at that one was it began with, oh, Jenny, I miss you, Jenny, I must have you. And it was because that's what Melinda wanted to tell a story about. So the, the transition was awkward. Not really here because 
I really feel like this Ginny is the Ginny from Order, and there's virtually no transition. And I actually, I don't know why this jumped out at me, but I love the part where Harry sees the mirror in Sirius's bedroom, and he just breaks down crying because he knows he could have, you know, contacted mm-hmm. Sirius through the mirror. And they talk about when they're at Hogwarts, Ginny and Hermione are down in the Great Hall, and Harry's upstairs, and we know he's in his dorm room, you know, breaking everything in sight because he realized the mirror was there the whole time. And Ginny says, I wish I went up there. And the first thing I thought, you know, I wish Hermione didn't hold me back. I wish I had gone up there and trusted my instincts. And the first thing I thought was, well, that wouldn't have been canon because in the canon, Ginny, I couldn't picture Ginny showing up. But then I'm thinking about it. I'm like, you know what? I think I could because she's the one on the train that when he wants to leave them behind, you know, bitch slaps him and says, well, you know, it's too bad, Harry. You don't have someone around who's been possessed by Voldemort that you could talk to about this. Right. Exactly. And then I'm I'm reading it. I'm like, you know what? Ginny would have gone up there. I'm okay with that. And as I'm, the more I'm reading it, I'm like, you know what? One, and this was, I just to go on the record. I think this was the second fic I ever read. I, I read um, a, a, a sixth year, seventh year combo. Then I read this one. So this is m- pretty much my genesis of fan fiction. And I'm like, you know what? This is plausible. I can picture this having happened. This is real to me. And it's, I, I'm not going to monologue anymore, but it's the, it's the thing that I think she just said. It's that, you know what? This is, this is not the story J.K.R. wanted to write. She didn't want to write a story about, you know, Harry and Ginny and their great love affair. And my, you know, the love for Ginny was the only thing that kept Harry going and blah, 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 blah. I mean, that's the story I want to Although she did do that. <laughs> a little bit. She a little did. Bit. You know, staring at, the ma- staring at the map and, you know, it's something that keeps... Yeah. You know what? She did it very overtly. I have a feeling, like, if you wrote D.H. from another perspective, you would. there's all these missing scenes. It's like when Harry runs the phone booth to call Ginny to make sure she's... It's like you could tell there was, like, a story there that... Well, always happening in the other room almost it wasn't extremely prominent and i guess the thing for me is that this is a jenny that is totally plausible it's a a story i want to read and i was disappointed in deathly hallows because i was set up for this and it's obviously not the story joe wanted to write and she didn't want jenny to go on the horcrux hunt and she wanted jenny to be there but not really in the in, in in the middle of the spotlight and it's i i wonder how I would perceive canon Ginny if not for the fact that I read Melinda's Ginny because Melinda's Ginny and you know, the, the, the Ginny from after the end and some of these very prominent characterizations, that's the character for me in a nutshell. It's everything you just said. It's the character who is Harry's equal and will be the only person in the world who will tell him, you know, I'm very sorry your godfather died, but get off your goddamn ass and write my mother a letter. She's too good for this. I mean, that's the character. I, yeah. I, I don't know why I get that character as strongly from the canon. And I have been monologuing for three hours, so have fun. She does a great job with Molly, too, but I could go on for, you know, 19 chapters of all of the things that Melinda has done wonderful about this story. And that's the problem why I couldn't do Gen 2 notes, because I had nothing to snark. (laughs) The erection. uh, There's always the erection. You can do the erection. There's always the erection. But... She has such a firm grasp on all of the characters, and she's able to um, put you into all of their emotions. She wrote Molly beautifully. She wrote Lupin beautifully. She wrote Harry, of course. She does wonderfully. You know, she she really is able to put you inside their minds, you know, in an omniscient sort of way in this story so that you're involved with all of the characters and they're all very, very realistic. They're all very believable. And, you know, 
and I can be very snarky. I know Chi can be very snarky. You know, at just no point did I feel like the cheese meter, you know, was too much. You know, and Jenny is one of my favorite characters as well. I just love Jenny in this story. Jenny pops off the page in this story. And, you know, I was kind of sad when I got to chapter 19 and I'm like, oh, damn. I don't get to, you know, I don't get to, I don't get to talk about anything after chapter 19. Well, I'll even say this. I think if, if, if people want to go the, one of the things I always try and be careful with on the podcast is, you know, this might be a new story. Maybe no one's discovered it yet. I think I'm going to make a command decision here. We can go forward if we want to talk about stuff that maybe comes up in next week's episode, or if we want to allude to what's going to happen, because I think this, this fic is probably one of the, like if you gave asked people whether your top ten fix in this fandom, this would certainly be on there. So if you want to go a little bit beyond, feel free. Brings people together. It's it's on PS's Gen Two and Cheese top ten list all at the same time. So I think you know it's like the United Nations over here. The United um the United Ravenclaw <laughs> Nation. I think Melinda is a, a benchmark for writing. I mean, I I can't say for for everyone, but. For me, especially when I'm writing fanfic, you know, when when I look at her characteriz- characterizations of these people in canon, you know, when I'm writing my own, I'm looking for that kind of depth when I write my fanfic. And if I can't reach that kind of depth, then I don't even feel like I'm making it, you know, I'm, it's not even worth the effort to me. I want to even say this too, when because I'm at a disadvantage tonight because I only was able to read half of the chapters fresh, and you know I read the other ones what two years ago or one year ago, two years ago. Um, when I was trying to sit here, I, I had sent uh, Keza and Rena and and Chi messages before the podcast. Just remind me, give me the major plot points that happen in in the later chapters, and it will come back to me. When the things I remember about this fic two years later that stick with me is is. Yeah, I remember plot moments. I remember, you know, you know the, the, you know what happens at the end of the story and where the climax is. And I remember some big plot points. But what really sticks out with me are those little character moments, just like in the canon. There's these little moments, and they're like one-liners. But that one-liner probably has more of an impact on on me and on the one I absorb from the story than a twenty-two page, you know, plot device that, you know, you have notes all over the floor, like with the Horcrux and the Elder Wand, and you're trying to figure out what the hell, and the Expelling Art, and you're trying to figure out how this whole thing worked, and it's so confusing, you have to give interviews explaining it to people. That's great, but if you have this one line that just conveys so much more, and it's like simple verbs and in passive tense, and it just, it get like, that's what I think Melinda does really well, and those are the little moments that just stick with me. And I know there's moments coming up. I, I'm thinking of a few of them off the top of my head and they're all in curse of the dam. So I want well, like one of my, one of the moments I really want to talk about is in chapter six with Jenny and Hermione. Hermione is talking to Jenny and she says, how did you get him to talk? Why is he telling you all these things? And he's not telling me Melinda Leo doesn't come right out and say Hermione was very hurt and jealous that Harry is going through this transition. One of the beauties about uh, Melinda Leo's writing is that she doesn't have to tell you necessarily with a lot of words what the motivation behind dialogue is. It's so beautifully written. It's so well set off with particular pieces of description that you can infer all kinds of wonderful things without her having to bring out the obvious hammer. And I think that as a writer, as like a craftsman, um, this like one scene and it's like maybe 
500, 600 words and it's right in the middle of chapter six is like the apex. If I could write that well, I would be very happy. I would probably just stop. <laughs> but um, I'm sorry. I just yeah. I can't stop laughing. I'm picturing Chi with a tool belt on right now with her craftsman stuff and she's building a shed and I can't get the visual out. Yeah, with my obvious first. hammer. Yeah, yeah I, use, uh, I use that line a lot. As my Hi, name. I'm a craftsman. I'm like, all right. Oh, drop the obvious hammer. I love it. And it's just kind of because it's one thing. Well, one, it's well written. A. B. I think it's something that all of us who had um, younger siblings kind of went through. Like, um, my brother is dating my best friend from high school. And they're really serious. They've been together for two and a half years. And at some point, you know, you start to realize that. And my brother and I were really, really close growing up. Like, it was me and Zachary versus Amanda all the time. And, like, we were buddies and did everything together. And when we got to high school, you know, we would do – we had the same friends and that kind of stuff. And, um, well, all of, my, all of my siblings are really close with me. But Zach's really kind of was my buddy. And then I did kind of have this moment with Maria where – which is his girlfriend where you were kind of – I was kind of like – you had to realize that he was no longer like just my buddy. He was like moving, he was leaving being a boy and kind of developing into a young man and having a real solid romantic relationship with somebody else and having to not necessarily be jealous, but kind of switch the way that I dealt with him, kind of looked at him, things that I expected of him, you know, that all that kind of had to change. And, uh, I love that scene because it was it didn't necessarily help, but it was an accurate representation of what it would be like to be in Hermione's position. Yeah, and I like what you had just said, too, about how she doesn't hit you over the head with dialogue. And the thing I was saying earlier um, when I was talking to her um, about something else that she had been writing, it, it's weird for me because sometimes if, if you read a scene and it's he said, she said, he said, she said, I'm like, okay, well, tell me what their movements are. Tell me, is Harry looking down at the floor? Is he... Is he you know, staring the person in the eye. Is he stuttering? Sometimes I don't need to be spoon fed, but I need to get some information. Even when you have like lines that you would think that would be over the top aren't in this fic. And I, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. There's a, there's a, there's a scene at the end of this fic where there's a line, which I haven't read in two years, but I remember it, which I'm paraphrasing was it, it, Molly embraced Harry. And it was the scene that Melinda got shortchanged from. And we got shortchanged from in Goblet. It's Hermione walked in, in in the hospital wing, and they just hugged each other. And there's some there's a line that's like Harry Net doesn't remember being hugged by his mother, but if Lily Potter herself had walked on you know into the into the room, she would have found Molly to be a appropriate surrogate, something like that. It's it, there's this line where it's like if Lily Potter herself, and you can imagine it being you know very overdone and the over you know if you know one hand on the chest and the other hand you know addressing the balcony. And it's not. It's it's this beautiful little moment. You know, Harry needed a mom, and if Lily herself were there, she would have said thank you. Because there's a point made earlier about how, you know, what would Lily have... Hilly, Lily Potter must be rolling in her grave, seeing what Petunia did to her kid. Yeah. And there's that, it's that little... And it's, it's such a simple point. And, and you don't need to do three paragraphs on it. You, you know, you can do this one line. And there's, you know, there was a point where Melinda obviously thought that McGonagall got screwed politically. And there's a line there. Harry felt very sorry for Professor McGonagall. And that's it. That's all you need. And I, I really respect the fact that Melinda can hit just those small moments. And the one that hit me in these chapters was 
I'm very protective of, of the Weasleys, Molly and Arthur, because they're, they have this potential to be incredibly humble characters. And if you, like I was about to say, if you try and make them into warriors, you know, it doesn't go well, but then we all know what happened to Molly at the end of Deathly Hallows. If you try and screw them up in any way, if you don't let them be these very humble people who don't have a dime in the world and don't care because they don't need money, you can sometimes damage the character. And I love the moment where Harry says, give it all to the Weasleys. I want them to have all this money, give all this money to the Weasleys. And, and, and they come to him with their bank statement in the middle of a party. And he's like, I want you to have that. And he kind of plays politics. He knows what he needs to say to get them to accept it. He's like, you know what? I've, I was never able to thank Sirius for what he did for me. I'm not going to make that same mistake. You have been more parents to me than anyone ever has. And Molly embraces him and she's crying. And Arthur's looking, you know, just, he doesn't know what to say. And he's like, you'll always be a Weasley. And that's it. It's not, you know, the, the this big grand adoption, and now he has red hair, and you know, now he changed yeah. his name to Weasley. It's this little quiet moment, and I thought it was great. And I've always remembered that moment, even before reading it again tonight. I just thought just little stuff like that. I thought it was really great. She's really yeah. good with the idea of less is more. She's yeah. she has. I don't want to say simplistic because that implies that her writing style isn't sophisticated, but she is a master of simplicity. I say it's very um, concise. Yes, you know it's it's not over the top. It's not overdone. It's not blown way out of proportion. It's very, it's cut and it's to the point and it it works. She's very homespun and down to earth and realistic in her style. She's going to use exactly as many words as she needs for you to get the point and no more and no less. I want to talk for a second, if we can. Can we talk about? Obviously, there was a there's a difference between what happened in Half Blood Prince and what happened in this fic, pertaining to Harry's emotional state. I'm not sure if you caught this, but Harry in the first few chapters is in slightly of a bad mood. It's <laughs> like me when I have cheese, but he's a little bit less angry. But that's all right. But um, let's talk about that now. Obviously, oh, we have dogs. Um, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> we have dogs, we have kids, we have everything. Kez, are you here? Yeah. One of the things that Melinda likes about my fic, which now sounds like I'm plugging mine, but whatever, she likes the angst at it. At the beginning, when he was getting over the, the battle at Hogwarts, because it's post-DH in my fic, and I often hear her complain in, in reviews. She reviews my fic and she'll say, I love how you did this because Joe didn't give it enough justice and... And all this. And so one of the things that she has is that Harry didn't get enough healing time after Order of the Phoenix. And you can really see in The Power of Emotion how she's actually writes about how Harry must be feeling and all his grieving and his healing over Sirius because she thinks that, that was really shortchanged in the canon because she thinks in, in Half-Blood Prince he just sort of moved on. And the other thing is with the Hermione thing, she can't stand Hermione actually, which I actually find quite amusing. And you can I know, I'm reading this, I'm like, yeah. I remember she her mind being this like bitchy in the kid. She <laughs> is, she is. Well, see, I Very just wrote funny. a chapter where Hermione was a bit insensitive to what Harry was going through, and she was being a bit too matter-of-fact and carrying on. And so Melinda's review is like, yeah, that was just the characterization was spot on because Hermione doesn't think about anyone but herself. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm reading 
rereading the power of emotion, I'm like, oh, look at that. It's right there in her own fix. She's just like a money. I'm trying to picture this. I'm trying. Now, Melinda, as you're listening to this and you're putting the bottle of rum away, maybe you should go grab it for a second. Um, I'm picturing this. And one of the things I think is, is really great about this fic is I think Melinda is injecting a lot of her own experiences into the fic. And by that, I mean that she's been a mom, so she can understand Molly Weasley. And she's, you know, dated, so she can understand, you know, she's not been, you know, a depressed, you know, young man, but she can probably piece it together. And she has young boys who have all these ideas about girls and that's probably Harry's emotional state so even though they're younger it works so I'm reading this and I'm like okay she's very bitter towards Hermione and I'm picturing that when Melinda met Leo as a young woman there was like another girl and there was like a love triangle and Melinda kicked the girl's ass and got Leo so she's like (laughs) you shall be Hermione (laughs) every scene Hermione I don't see it that way I just see it because I know that Melinda is just completely She's just completely Molly Weasley about Harry. She just does not like the Hermione character being so pushy about Harry's emotional state. So well, Hermione, tortures. bless her heart, she's very, she's like, just, she's, she's so, just, yeah. There's a little mother in there somewhere, but God did not bless her with the tools to be a sensitive mother. <laughs> she's very. Well, have you guys ever seen, have you all ever seen the show Bones? Yes. No. She Hermione is. Is, I don't watch that. Yeah. Is Bones. And I need to I mean, start it here. And I don't it's, She is the, I mean, it's, if you look at that character, it's, I see a lot of that. And I think, man, this is so what Hermione would be like when she grew up. I mean, very clinical, very blunt, very yeah. insensitive to other people's kind of Not out issues. of malice, but just yeah, out, of, out of just, out of, you know, she can compartmentalize it and she can, you know, she's so bright that, you know, she doesn't think about it the same way that other people do. And that's the character in the show. I mean, she's very bright and like, she'll talk about sex and she'll be like, like she'll be interviewing somebody and she'll say, how many times did you have intercourse? And people just look <laughs> at her like, what did you really just say that? <laughs> you know, I mean, she's she makes these like arguments so. and it's just, it's very, I don't want to say calculating because she's not doing it. Like she said out of malice, it's just out of, you know, that's the way she sees things in her mind and she applies it to everything. You know, and then we have to remember that, that Harry, I think really, we have to be very honest is emotionally stunted. You know, he wasn't raised in a real family, so he has no experience from which to draw on how to cope with any kind of real life situation. So Hermione, even by being so clinical, you know, she's expecting him to react in a normal kind of way. And and Harry has no emotional tools to even do that with her. Yeah. Yeah. It's well, when you look at Jenny and you look at Hermione, let's take Melinda's Jenny and Melinda's Hermione. They're both very blunt people. And with Harry Potter, he can be this, I want to say the stupidest person alive. But like, as you read the first few chapters, like everything that happens, Harry's like, well, that's my fault. Well, that's my fault. That's an extension of my fault. That could have been, you know, I, if I had only gone to the bathroom 10 minutes later, this whole thing could have been avoided. That's my, and there's no, dealing with him. He will not accept the fact that, you know, Sirius would want him to be happy because he just can't do that. He, he, he's putting up layers of walls around himself. You need to be blunt to get through. Ginny's very blunt and Hermione's very blunt. The difference is you have Ginny who on some, number one, on some level, she just has this chemistry with Harry that Hermione doesn't. So it's, it's a hard wiring thing. It's, it's boys and girls. It's just sometimes it's there. And on the other level, 
Ginny has six brothers who she's been dealing with her entire life, an overprotective mother. She had to learn when you're younger, if you see your, your dolls being hung outside the tree, to wait till mom comes and then have a hysterical fit. And she learned how they probably, you know, do all these other things that girls just do when they're outnumbered. Then you have Hermione. You learned how to manipulate. <laughs> yes. And you have Hermione who has who has, you know, spent her entire life reading how to do these things. And you know, Ginny is blunt, you know, number one, she loves Harry, always has, always will. But number two, she's, she just gets him. She, she knows, okay. And you can see that she's calculating. And I don't mean that to come out as renegade. She's not being, you know, Slytherin, you know, sorry. Oh, she's just adding one and one and getting two. She yeah. understands. She's, t- when she's talking to Harry, like when she's in, uh, I forget where they are in the house, but she's like, you know what? Serious. She just brings up Sirius. And it's from Harry's POV, so you don't know what she's thinking. But she just brings Harry. They're sitting there in silence. And she's like, you know, Sirius always, I forget what the line was. Sirius always made me laugh. Sirius played this joke on the twins. And she can tell that Sirius is the, is the big elephant in the room. So she's not going to just let that go. So she brings up Sirius. She's bringing up Sirius around Harry, who's mourning him, who, you know, this is the thing you, you're not supposed to bring up. And she does it. And I think for her, it's a little bit of an experiment. Okay, let me bring up Sirius and see if how he reacts. And then I don't see. I don't. I don't agree with that. I think it's more of a, you know, everyone else is saying, "Well, do you want to talk about Sirius? Do you want to, you know, do you want to talk about how you're feeling?" And it's not actually talking about Sirius. They're talking about his death. They're talking about how Harry should feel about his death. And Ginny takes a different approach, and she's like, "You know what?" I'm just going to talk about Sirius. We're not going to talk about the fact that he's dead. We're not going to talk about how Harry feels about the fact that he's dead. We're just going to share good memories of Sirius because that is what would help. You you know what, though? I think that she, in her, I think in her inner monologue, if that scene were from her POV, I agree with that. I agree with why she thinks it would be helpful. I think if that scene were from her POV, she'd be thinking to herself, I don't know how he's going to react. This could be the worst idea I've ever had. But you know what? I think this is helpful. Let me bring up Sirius and see what happens. And then she does. And Harry opens up a little bit. Because no one else treats him that way. So she, he doesn't know what to make of her. Because he sends her... Everyone else is tip. Harry, are you all right? Do you need anything? Are, are the nurses treating you okay? And she sends him a freaking howler at 2.30 in the morning. I mean, there's something different about this. Girl, keep your eye on her. You're going places. And I think that's the thing. And that I like the fact that she isn't this... 15-year-old girl who knows everything, who knows just the right thing to say in every situation, because she sent him a howler at 3 o'clock in the morning. She missed the fact that he lives with muggles who ate him. She was like Rina said. She was just so pissed she didn't care. She makes mistakes. She has flaws. She has good intuition. She's not always sure if it will work out, but she's very blunt, and she has people skills, and she hopes for the best, and Hermione thinks she knows what's best for everyone, and obviously not always does, and then she can't figure out why her perfect science experiment didn't yield the results that Ginny's did. Okay, yeah. let me put it this way. Her- Hermione is Hillary Clinton, and Ginny, <laughs> for the moment, is Sarah Palin. Hillary had this big plan to be the first female president. The governor of Alaska may be the first female. And, and everyone's like, who the hell's the governor of Alaska? <laughs> well, but, but Hillary is standing there going, how did this happen? All right, I'm done. Good. But that's, that's my point. How did this happen? I don't understand. I did it according to the instruction manual. I, why did my plant not grow? 
Hillary's pissed because her chia pet didn't grow, and so is Hermione. <laughs> That's not nice. It's not nice at all, but true. But it's still kind of an Hermi- assessment. Picture Hermione in a peacock pantsuit. It'll work so much better for you. It it does. <laughs> I would like to apologize um, now to Ginny Weasley. I'm sorry, carry on. <laughs> what? Hey now. Hey Sorry, we're an apolitical podcast. It's the religion and politics thread right here on the floor. Oh, I'm not even can saying you, anything because can I'm. Can anyone one of those- just tell that Gen Two is just not on politics? La 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 la. <laughs> I can't even talk about it with people. I really can't because I go literally. I get like apoplectic with rage. <laughs> okay, we'll talk after the podcast. Bad shit, crazy girl. We'll talk after the podcast. We'll talk after. It's okay. It's okay. We'll talk after the podcast. It's okay. Calm, calm. I'm patting Rin on the head. All right. I'm okay now. I mean, I just I'm one of those people that I cannot have political discussions with with other people because I get so angry. And it's not every issue that I just get. You know, I see red spots behind my eyes on. It's just there's a couple, and I get so mad, and it just. Like, I have gotten so upset after political discussion that I ended up giving myself an asthma attack and ending up in the hospital. I mean, I, I get so upset when I talk okay. about certain things. Let's try and talk about something nice and calm. All right, let's talk about Harry's emotional fracturing. That, I, that's, <laughs> like that? that's, that's one thing I want to talk about here. Now, in the canon, Harry's godfather dies. He's had a tough life before that. And he sees Dumbledore. He's like, Dumbledore, hug! And he gives him a big hug. And they go and they get Slughorn. And then Dumbledore's like, Harry, can I borrow you for a mow? And Harry and Harry's like, well, fine. Let's go talk in that tool shed. So they go talk in the tool shed. And Harry's like, Sirius would want me to be happy and to live. And I'm reading this like, I haven't read Power of Emotion yet, but I can almost feel. Do you think that's because we're, do you think that we view that because we're American? Do you, what, what you think it's a different perception part? how you deal with what grief? Toolshed? Toolshed, so they use the word mom. No, I'm not sure what no. we're talking about. <laughs> Do you think that that we feel that he's being too cavalier? Yeah. Cavalier about I it think because that the, American. The, the that's obviously, obviously, point. That is a really because, interesting point. Because I don't think obviously I've never about it that way. Because the English are considered to be very cavalier about their emotions or they're considered to be, you know, very stiff nosed. You know, they don't Oh they, yeah. They Have don't you heard Daniel Radcliffe on the subject? Yeah, they don't. What they, was don't said? they don't. They don't get very upset. I mean, Joe's the one that yeah. put this character. Was she's, so she's gonna not think that he would get all, you know, like emotional. So, so what maybe I was talking about the therapy thing. Dan Radcliffe was doing an Equus interview, and um, Americans are something about because he's t- taken it to Broadway now and they have a different viewpoint of it than the British because um, it's like, oh, you're depressed, you need a therapist. And in America, in, in Britain, it's just like, you're depressed, go for a good, nice long walk, you know. <laughs> That's the different attitudes. Being an Australian with British parents are very much in the go for a nice long walk camp in that therapy is not my thing. I find it somewhat... Pokey, I guess. I'll just like, ah. And, yeah, so. Just in case you missed it, we're talking about Harry and Half-Blood Prince being like, oh, yeah, Sirius is dead, you know. I was very upset for a few minutes, and you know what? I'm trying to get on with my life, and we're all like, the hell? I think well, the problem you should have felt that yesterday, oh, this week, um, is the seventh anniversary of my sister's death, not to get morbid or anything. But I go through a few days at the beginning of September where I am the biggest bitch in the world. And I never realized why I'm doing it until I registered the date. 
And I go, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm feeling crappy because of this. My mother, who is British, she sort of heard the news that it was terminal and kind of went, okay, right. And so we're at the funeral and everyone's blubbering everywhere. And it was a terrible, horrible, horrible day because it was September the 12th, which I'm from the future. And September the 12th, 2001 in Australia is actually September the 11th. So it was an awful, awful, awful day. Yeah, it's anyway, and so which is actually the day we're recording this podcast. Huh? Yes, so yes, I have strong feelings about September 11th as well. But my mother is up there banging away on the piano, just having the best time because my mother processed it all in a few weeks back in January when she was diagnosed because she deals with everything really differently and she's very much of this very straight, stiff upper lip kind of thing. You don't see my mother cry. You rarely see my father cry. He was dedicating the gravesite and it was, he was crying and it was really actually quite distressing for me because my parents don't cry. So I actually found that more distressing in a way than anything else that day because that's what they're like. So. Well, I have to say too, I think part of it's like, part of it is Brit- being British and then part of it is this, like my grandparents deal with death very differently than I deal with death because when my grandparents were growing up, when my um, great-great-grandmother died, they embalmed her at my grandmother's house. So it was a, it was a different like process, you know, yeah. because, well, especially because we were settling the frontier just a few generations ago in Kansas. Don't laugh, Ryan. It's true. Like in the nineteen, 19- I, I was picturing the Oregon Trail going by, and they have other stuff. On no, the I mean so. like, well, because you know, like my my family is from like the middle of nowhere, Kansas. So we got we got electricity really late. We got running water really late. We got uh, TV extremely late. Um, so everything's kind of takes she, like ten years. She's to get the here. first member of her family to be a podcast host. I just want to throw that. Out. Yeah, it's very true. It's very true. Well, my <laughs> my dad was the first one to graduate with a degree. There you go. It's just a different generational thing. In that, I think for Americans particularly, we're so far removed from like the process of death. You know, when somebody dies, yeah. you ship them away. And somebody else takes care of them when they die and takes care of the body. And, you know, we have the, we lay them out and somebody else takes care of the arrangements. And, you know, so it's a very kind of distressing process because it's very unfamiliar. Not so much so when you live in a nursing, when you work in a nursing home, though, that changes everything. But, like, you know, I, I think it's just different how yeah, I mean, different generations deal with things. Yeah, and you know what, too, it's like, I don't want this to become a death cast or anything, but it's I had a similar experience in my own life. My father was diagnosed with cancer, and he died a month later. And while he was being treated for cancer, and you know when we realized it was going to be terminal, my aunt was dying of cancer as well. She had cancer for many years, and, and what ended up happening was my father died, and then three weeks later, my aunt died. That was his sister. So then we had one surviving brother in that family who was an absolute wreck because all of his siblings just died in the same month. And a few weeks out, we're dealing with that. And then a few weeks later, my um, cousin had a 10 month old baby who died in his sleep. And this is all in literally a five week period. And you're in the beginning, you're very upset because when, when, when you're my age and your dad dies and it's your dad, that's a big thing. And then you're like, okay, okay, my dad died. Now I have to, you know, I'm writing his eulogy, but I have to go visit my aunt because my aunt only has a few days to live. So you're, you're running and you're doing that. And then by the, well, I don't mean to make it too morbid, but by the end of that, I'm at this 
funeral for a little baby and everyone is everyone's sobbing. It doesn't even matter if you've never met the family that you just sob at that thing. I, I couldn't because I'm just so drained from everything that's happened and it gives you new perspective. And at some point you, you just can't do it anymore. And to get back to, to, to Harry and to, and to Melinda's fic, Half-Blood Prince opens with Harry just quietly sitting in his room waiting for Dumbledore. And I think the reason that, we had that reaction and Melinda had that expectation for this was look at order. You have Harry's friend die in front of him. And because he was denied information for a summer and because of some other plot developments, he turned into caps lock Harry. And he was mm-hmm. literally a bastard for half of that fic for half of that fic because people wouldn't tell him what was going on. So, okay. So now Harry's having a very bad day. Okay. Try this on for size. Let's have your godfather, your only family in the world die. And let's have it be as a result of something that you can very plausibly make an argument is your fault. You forgot something. Ergo, something happened. Ergo, Sirius died. Let's have him totally trash Dumbledore's office, and you think they'll never speak again. And let's just see what happens after that. So if I'm Melinda, I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to write Power of Emotion, where Harry is literally a basket case. Because that's what you think will happen from what you know of him. And I think she said this very well in a Popo Exchange episode that's coming out a couple days after we're recording this. Um, the What are we calling it right now? We're calling it like X-rated PV, PBS or something? or X-rated NPR. NPR, whatever it is. Yeah. And um, is Renna not here? I don't have my thing in front of me. Renna's here. I think she just got distracted. Go. Okay, no, I, I don't have my camera. <laughs> Rena could have had to go, and I'd be like, Rena, what do you think? She made a really good point um, that was, you know, Harry was so emo in order that you just, you you can't keep, I, 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 I remember your point, Chi, I just can't remember it right now. You said, like, he was, he was so emotional in Order of the Phoenix that after that point, he would hit, like, critical mass. And when you go into mm-hmm. Half-Blood Prince, you know, he's like, you know what, screw it. I've been that upset. I can't do it anymore. And he's just gotten past that. I can see it both ways. I can see the fact that Harry will just, he, he's done the emo thing. And now if you have super duper emo Harry, he's going to have to be hospitalized by the seventh book. Right. So that well, was the question to say, Like if you've ever had something like a, a, ser- a period of time in your life, like a year, that was like, for me, m- the worst year of my life was the, my junior year of high school. And mm-hmm. one thing just happened right after the other, right after, right after the other, right after the other. And, um, just, you know, and you can, you're really emo in the beginning, but at some point you just have to buckle in and go, okay, this is my life for the next X amount of months and I just have to keep going. I don't have time to cry about how horrible it is that my grandmother is in the hospital and my mom's not here to take care of me when I'm 16 years old or that things are falling apart in my social life, that kind of stuff. You just kind of have to go, this is what my life is right now and I don't have time to deal with it. I just have to keep going. So much so that, you know, like two years later, I get diagnosed with depression and anxiety. Woohoo! Fun side effect. But, you know, like that kind of stuff is like there's sometimes you just can't deal with things when they're happening. You just have to keep living. And when you have time to slow down and process everything that's happened to you over the last amount of time, then you can do that. And I really think that that like if there was to be a year eight book, that would be when Harry would be really upset about Sirius's death and, you know, all the things that happened in Half-Blood Prince, because 
I know for a fact that that kind of stuff can hit you hard two years after it's happened, three years after yeah. it's happened. It can be really – because you don't have time to deal with it when it's happening to you. Exactly. And that, that actually happened to me after I had – I was planning a vacation with Danielle when, when everyone started, you know, unfortunately dying on me. And she's like, well, should we cancel the vacation? I said, no, we're still going. This was our plan. We're not going to let anything interrupt it. And okay, you're you know you're burying people and you're working out finances and you're making you know you're writing eulogies and you're doing all these things and uh, let's go on vacation. So now you're sightseeing and you're wearing a fanny pack. I didn't wear a fanny pack, but if you find pictures, I'll buy them from you. And (laughs) so so you're doing that, and then all of a sudden. I'm a basket case because, oh my God, I'm sitting in this room and it's absolutely quiet and I hear the clock ticking and half my family just died. So it's that is one of the things that really can happen. But I really do give Melinda credit for, even though she didn't get it right canon-wise, I don't think anyone would have predicted that after Emo Harry from, and I hate to keep calling him Emo Harry, the poor kid, but it's like that. Except that he totally was. I mean, yeah, he was. He's absolutely out of his mind in half of Order of the Phoenix. Why? If Melinda had written Half Blood Prince and given it to us and said, "Here's what I think will happen in the next," (laughs) and when Harry's in the shed, you know what? I think I should just move on. I'd be like, "Are you out of your mind?" Joe Rowling would never wrote write this. What are you talking? Like, take it back and write something where Harry is very upset and you know gets howlers in the mail. So I think while Joe's is you know probably the the right way to go story-wise. I think Melinda's is probably the more plausible direction to take the character. Yes, that's true. I guess my take on the whole thing was more that it wasn't that he was less upset about Sirius, but by that point, so much had happened. Mm -hmm. You know, it's almost like a desensitization to it. You can't just keep having all this bad stuff happen and then keep breaking down every single time. I mean, I do agree that it was a little bit too flippant for my tastes, but I, I really talked it up more to just being so used to death by that point that it wasn't, I you know, yes, it was I upset. Agree. He was, he wasn't going to fall apart. Yeah. I think he just had, had so much by that point that it's just, he needed to make a choice of whether he was going to live in that place or whether he was going to move on. You know, was he going to make a choice to try to live a life that wasn't totally focused on dying and the prophecy and, and what he was and murdering and trying to have something that was going to be positive. So, Well, the other thing I was thinking is that if you look between the lines, we were talking about Melinda writing and she doesn't have to say it to say how she's feeling. I think a lot of people actually don't give Half-Blood Prince the credit for actually showing how Harry is feeling because... If you actually read Chapter 3 of of Half-Blood Prince and Harry's fallen asleep against the window and the room is strewn with stuff. There's robes tangled on his bed and whatever is in here and apple claws. And he's not expecting. Sweet wrappers. He's, He's living like he really doesn't care. He's got paper everywhere. He's got the pamphlets and stuff. And he doesn't really believe Dumbledore's coming for him. But if you look at the description of his room, he's just living in a hovel. And he, he so it's that not said stuff that he's not yeah. emo Harry, but he's gone to that place where he's just like, oh, I couldn't be bothered picking up the apple cores. I couldn't be bothered putting the robes away. I couldn't be bothered packing properly. I don't really believe that Dumbledore is going to come. I'm going to stay here. There's no concession that he's he's going to leave. He's actually that just, you know, I can he's see him just done. sitting there for that two weeks. He's just 
done and and did. and then when he gets to the bar and um, Hermione and Ron start talking about Sirius, he starts eating really quickly because he doesn't want to talk about it. So although it's not this big, huge, emotional, overwhelming thing, I think there's actually a lot of clues in the canon in Joe's Half-Blood Prince about how Harry's reacting. And he's not just say, going on his way merrily. Right, and I have to say that, you know, as much as we talk about Melinda Leo and how good of an author she is too, I don't want to make it seem like I think that Melinda Leo is a better author than Joe Rowling. Like she told the story more effectively. I think that Melinda t- chose to take the characters in one direction and Joe took the characters in another and they did it um, at the very least equally well. You know, Joe Rowling the best thing about her books for me is starting at the beginning and watching her develop as an author because if Sirius had died in Prisoner of Azkaban, I think that it would have been... Well, for, it would have been bad in the, in the storyline, but also a bad place for Joe where she was writing-wise because there wouldn't have been any subtle clues as to how Harry was feeling. You wouldn't have had that scene with the room and, and that kind of thing. And I, I think, you know... That's that's one thing that can definitely be said is that Joe handles emotions more subtly and better as the story moves along, as does Melinda Leo. But I do have to say this. I mean, have y'all never lived with a 16-year-old boy? I, I, I mean, <laughs> coming from... Like, <laughs> Rena, have you yeah, ever been 16 but, years old? It's <laughs> uncharacteristic for Harry. It's uncharacteristic for Harry to be that... You know, he kept everything in that bedroom neat and tidy because of the Dursleys. That is true. That is true. I just... I don't. So, I guess I didn't read that into it. It just is characteristic for a teenage boy, but not for Harry at Privet Drive. But oh, how yeah. do you... Let me, let me say this, though. Will you... Because it's the dialogue. I don't have my book in front of me, but it was the dialogue from the broom shed where Harry base. And I hope I'm not mis- mischaracterizing the canon, but it was pretty much you know, Sir- I- I- Sirius wouldn't want. It's the speech that Jenny gives Harry in in, in, pres- in um, Power of Emotion. You know, Sirius wouldn't want me to be upset. I need to do this for Sirius. And I'm like, okay, that's very grown up of you. That's, that's, you know, it's hard for me to even say this because I remember when my dad died, I had what, like five weeks to prepare for it, six weeks to prepare for it. I had one close friend who I didn't tell that he was sick. You know, she was up, she was in college. I didn't tell her he, he, he was dying. She didn't find out he was, he was sick until after he had died. And I think I subconsciously did that because it's so hard when, when you're dealing with that, because everyone will always say to you, you know, what can I do for you? What can I do? And mm-hmm. it's like what Hermione does. You know, do you want to talk about this? What can, what can I do? People don't want – this is good advice for anyone dealing with that. People don't want to hear what can I do, what do you need? Because people in that situation have no earthly idea what they need. They don't want to think about it. You know, if someone you know is going through a hard time, bring them dinner. Bring them a sandwich. Bring them – you know, do something for them. Don't ask them what the, what you can do for them because they don't want to make the decision. So right. it's weird for me because I remember I just didn't want to have this one friend who I knew would be very sympathetic. I didn't want to hear the 50,000, what can I do for you? And I needed – you know what I mean? So I just kept that person apart from it. And I have no idea why I picked that one person. She's my very good friend. She's the one who just got married, actually. And it was interesting because I remember talking to her after, and it was a few weeks after I had dealt with everything. I'm like, you know what? My dad wouldn't want me to be upset. And I had, I was very, I had a lot of issues with, with his passing, but I dealt with them and I found answers to a lot of questions I had. And I felt really good about where things had been left off. And I was very uplifting when I talked to her and I said the same things that Harry said in the tool shed. 
So now it's like I'm going back and forth. I have to feel like what one of the, the themes about this podcast is the subtext. It's it's the wrappers on the floor and, and you know it's the things that the author says but doesn't come out and whack you over the head with. I can see Harry reaching a point that he reaches in the tool shed. And I guess the difference is I lived it, so I know the points I hit along the way and why I had this problem but dealt with it and that's why I was able to get there. I just didn't see Harry do it. I saw him be very emo about comparatively more minor issues about being left in the dark and about, you know, control and independence and, and Cedric's death and, you know, some, you know, umbrage and also. So I saw him be very emo, thought Godfather die. And then I saw him beat the shit out of everything in Dumbledore's office. And then he went away knowing people were looking out for him. And then he comes back and he is feeling good about Sirius. So I guess that's just the weird thing for me. I just don't know where I didn't see it. So it's, I have difficulty accepting what I don't see. I can, you know, where he did kind of go off on the relatively minor stuff. That's also something that happens with displaced grief. I can remember when my grandmother died, my mother had an absolute shit fit because my sister forgot to do the dishes one night. And really it, it didn't matter that the dishes hadn't gotten done because, you know, all, all had to happen was somebody had to come back behind them and, and do the dishes. But she was so upset about everything else that was going on that she just latched on to the first thing that she saw. Mm-hmm. Or the first I thing that she had any control over. My, right? exactly. my mom does that all the time because she has depression and she does it all the time. You'll be merrily going along. And I remember this one time I was about 10 and I had been supposed to do all this stuff while they were working on the farm. She came back in and I hadn't done the dishes. And it was suddenly the biggest deal ever. This, because the, the farm was getting sold and stuff and we were going to have to move. And there was whatever was going on. And it still happens even now that she'll so overwhelmed with everything else that she'll pick on the one thing that you didn't do that isn't a big deal. And she, I think she actually just goes off. About, yeah, I've lost my train of thought, but my mum does that all the time. <laughs> she does. She'll go, I gave you one job to do and you just couldn't do it. And you're sitting there going, oh, I got involved in my book. I'll go and do it now. And she's on a rant. She's off the planet. And it's not because the dishes weren't done because, you know, someone can do them. It's because of everything else. Right. And well, you do that to somebody that you know you can punch really hard and mo- like I can say with certainty because I have depression you really you mean you you pick on the or you don't pick on you choose to vent your emotions to people that you know have no way of like they can hit you back they can you know but they're never going to leave like that's the you're going to pick on the people that you love and trust the most you're going to yell at your kids or your husband or you know your twin sister you know like you're gonna pick somebody that you know there's not gonna be an awful lot of like my sister and I had it it's actually been a year since my diagnosis so this was last year in October just had like a I have only ever hit my sister twice and once when I was 15 and my mom came back behind me and slapped me so hard I saw stars but I would never do that again and then um once last year when I was depressed and just kind of had was just fighting about something stupid and I don't even remember what it was but we both got really mad and but I mean that's a symptom that's not a yeah it's misplaced grief or misplaced angst or you know whatever I just have the visual now of you hitting your sister and your mother saying hitting is wrong and hitting you I'm sorry I'm just I just have well my mother is I don't know how to like I 
<laughs> do as I say, not as I do. I'm like, that seems awkward. Okay, okay. Well, all right. About the the misplaced grief. I mean, and and that's also yeah. kind of a reason. I felt like it wasn't that surprising that Harry wasn't freaking out because mm-hmm. now he finally had a big fat honking thing to concentrate all of his grief on. And so he was able, right. instead of just lashing out at everyone around him for, you know, basically an entire year, he was able to just really focus on grieving for Sirius and, and also kind the of prophecy. Also, I mean, because yeah. he, I mean, he's especially, you know, in both of half, in both fix, and if you want to juxtapose Half Blood Prince and um, Power of Emotion, they both, both Harrys really kind of, you know, the, in order to deal with what's happening to Sirius, they zoom in on this prophecy. At the risk of sounding like Mike here. Okay, this is going to be my undoing. <laughs> oh, no. When I read, I read the things, I, because see, what happened was, I had surgery and I said to my sister, I said, all right, give me the Harry Potter books. I will read them. She's been trying to get me to read them for a couple of years. And I'm like, no, I'm too busy. No, I'm too old for it. I had surgery, so I had to you know, hang around in bed for a few weeks. I'm like, give me the Harry Potter books. They'll give me something to do. So she sends over the books and I like read them in less than a week. Altogether, book one through to book six. And I don't know if it's because I've read them that way. But then I get to fan fiction because there was no more books and I was desperate. And every, all the fanfics are post-Author Phoenix and they're all going on about the prophecy. And I don't know if it's because it wasn't really all that big of a deal in Half-Blood Prince. But I read these fics and I'm like, why is everyone making such a big deal of the prophecy? Like I'd sort of read it like once and just went, oh, whatever, it's prophecy. And there is this massive thing in the fandom about this prophecy and the prophecy and what it means and all the fix. And, and I'm just sort of sitting there going, I don't get it. Well, the thing of it was, is like there were so many fix. Like if you remember, okay, I, I joined the fandom right before Goblet of Fire came out. So post Goblet of Fire, there was a lot of fix about like Harry's, well, there was a lot of soul bond fix. And there was a lot of prophecies yeah. too where there was like, you know, goddesses coming out of wells and stuff like that, giving grand prophecies. So it was this kind of like idea that had been around that was yeah. kind of very pervasive in the fandom. Huge and um, yeah, I'm I don't just know like, why. To I me, actually, it was just this, I never really got it. Like, this is where I sound like Mike. I'm just like, oh, okay. I never so really like, got it very much. I, I didn't think it was that big a deal or particularly relevant. I really well, didn't. All the people who spent their lives trying to figure out what that damn thing meant, then at the very end of it, Joe's like, well, when I said neither could live while the other survived, what I was really going for was Harry can't die as long as Voldemort's alive. I'm like, oh, because I never would have gotten that. Thank you for finally telling me. So it was like, it must reverse itself at the last minute. I'm like, ah. I'm glad I didn't put that much time and effort into trying to figure out what the hell you were talking about. Well, I, I didn't either because, and this is the <laughs> confession time. Um, a lot of authors will have prophecies in their fix, or they'll insert long poems, and I don't zone read out. <laughs> like <laughs> italics, you put anything in italics, and you you know, and you double space it or whatever. To me, that's subtextually. Don't even bother reading. Like I'll just skip all that and go well, down the to the thing next. about Mike is Mike didn't read the prophecy. But then was bitching that he, and I love you dearly, man. And he was bitching because he's like, I don't get it. What does it mean one one can't live while the, wait, you say the line to Burmese. Neither, Neither can live while, while the other survives. survives. What does that mean? How does that mean? What is to kill the other? Well, you know what I did in a recent, a, a recent chapter, Harry and Neville um, have this, they find this room, not to spoil it or anything, but anyway, there's this point, and Harry and Neville now have a, a task to do. And so I put this little 
one sentence thing in there and all the reviews are like, wow, look at that. It's like a prophecy. I'm like, no, it's not. And they're all fixating on this prophecy thing yeah. that they think is in my thick. And I'm yeah. like, it's not that big of a deal. And I think they all think it's going to be a bigger plot point than it is. And I'm like, oh, I think you're going to be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, prophecies and song lyrics. Things I don't read. Prophecies and song lyrics. Yeah, and especially, I can't you know do song lyrics. Pet peeve, pet peeve. When a character sings a song to another character, and it's always some like that. it's always some like anachronous song, like Harry singing the Backstreet Boys. All I, yeah. uh, you know that. <laughs> no, H Well, okay, you have to realize that so many. I know, I didn't read it. That so many people that do song fix and that put, you know, we talked about this in the Living with Danger series, you know, and, and I was saying that part of the reason why psychologically they use music to help kids who've been through traumatic experiences is because the kids then can let the music say what they can't. Right. And and the thing with a lot of song fix is the people who tend to write them are the people who are not as, as experienced as writers and they can't figure out a way to make it say what they want it to say. And so mm-hmm. they have to use a song. They have to use something else to say the words for them. And, I mean, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but, I mean, that's that's one of the things in my mind that screams, you know, baby author syndrome. I have written a few song fix in my day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just... I, I, I did. I was... The scene from Coven of Echoes, and I'm getting this wrong, and I'm getting the song wrong, and I'm getting the contacts wrong, but it was... Spice Girl. Was it Spice Girls? <laughs> I wasn't going to yeah. do that. And it was... The, the the scene, for those of you who haven't read it, is Harry, Ron, and Hermione, or Harry, Ron, yeah, Harry, Ron, and Hermione, I believe. No, it's not Hermione. Harry, Ron, and whoever the hell it is. They're in an alleyway, and there's a bunch of muggles around, and they need to either, you know, perform magic on the muggles and break the law and do all these kinds of different things, or they need to, like, make a distraction so they can get away. And, like, Ron's a little drunk, and Ron's like, so tell me what you want, what you really, really want. You picture him like kind of swaying his hips like my grandpa would have. Been. So tell me what you want. And everyone's staring at him so much that like everyone else escapes or whatever. And they save the world or whatever the hell it was. It's just so funny. Ron's like, I need to Ron sings the Spice Girls. I'm so glad she remembered the song because I was about to do the whole doo-wop thing. So that was, that was helpful. Nope. But, uh, I'm, like, not, I'm not an H. Whimsy fan, girl. I, yeah, just, that just happened. When you asked to bear her children on the podcast, I thought I that was did so not. I did not. You make stuff up. You were the so about Melinda Leo. Jen got <laughs> pregnant on a boat. But anyway, I wanted to say that I really like what you guys have said because I'm now thinking about that. So you have a Harry and Goblet who just saw someone die and he's reaching the point where he feels like he's doing this alone and he has friends but no one understands what he's going through so yeah I can see how he would project anger and how he would you know pick on the things he has control over and, and, and whatnot. Um, the one thing I just want to say too is I can't remember the, when this happened in my own life or what the, what the circumstances were but the thing that when people experience a great deal of loss they don't like at least in my experience, to feel like they're being pitied. And there's such a strong desire to be like, oh, you know, let's go easy on him. I know he's mouthing off to everyone, but he's he's having a really bad week. Well, you know what? And I forget why I got this line. Someone I knew was doing that. They were, well, you know, I'm having an awful week. So just, I'm like, you know what? When half my family died, I didn't beat up my girlfriend. It's, you have responsibilities. You, life isn't fair sometimes. And I really like the fact 
that Ginny Weasley will send a howler to Harry and say, I'm very sorry your parents died. I'm very sorry Voldemort is trying to kill you. I'm very sorry you lost Sirius and that you're malnourished and haven't had your first erection in this chapter and all these different things. But you know what? You need to stop being an ass to my mother or I'm going to have to kill you. And I just like that because it's like, you know what? You know how you were talking about lines that stick out at you? That's the one that sticks out of me from this week is that, yeah. you know, they're all worried about Harry. Everyone's worried about everything. And Ginny, like, comes up to her mum, Mum, what's wrong? And she's like, oh, I'm so worried about Harry. Oh, no, stop, stop. And Ginny's like, right, that's it. Harry can be as emo as he wants, but not allowed to make my mother cry. Yes, I'm sorry, <laughs> but you're going to have to die. I know you yeah, thought so Voldemort was tough, but you really have no idea what has begun here today. Very truly yours. But that's, that's the line that sticks out for me when Ginny decides, right, that's it. You've and then she realizes to... the next day, oh, shit. I just do what I think I just did. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I feel like, like, I, kind of like I really kind of like it, getting back to that scene for just a second, that Hedwig takes the letter. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I you bitch, really why like would you that. do that? Because, I, I mean, I really like that because I think that we see a couple of times, and, and maybe this is just a fandom thing and it's not real in canon, but how Hedwig has become so protective of Harry, you know, and how for a long time Hedwig was his only friend in the magical community. And, you know, that was the only contact he had with any living creature during the summers, pretty much, you know, because he had Hedwig with him. And I really like that, you know, Hedwig would kind of feel the motherhood kind of thing over Harry, and I mean, that just, I loved that. I absolutely loved that. You yeah. can sort of well, see that Hedwig's been watching and yeah. it's probably the first time Harry's shown any emotion because he's just been really shut down, whatever, and he doesn't eat and he doesn't care about anything. So Hedwig's probably watching this and all of a sudden Harry's furiously writing something and he's like, and so Hedwig's like, right, you know, this has to, <laughs> yeah, this has to be important. Like, yeah. I love Harry's response. Because to everyone else, if if Harry's happy, he'll use verbs and tell you why he's happy. If Harry is miserable, he'll say he's fine. And those are your two options. So I love the fact that even though Ginny did screw Harry over to some extent with the Dursleys, it worked. He wrote back and said exactly what he was thinking. Everything. Mm-hmm. He got it all out. And that was probably the most therapeutic thing that happened to him for three months. And I believe that too, because I always have that problem when, when like I drive Danielle nuts. If She's quiet. I'll be like, you all right? She's like, oh, yeah, I'm just tired. I'm like, really? Like, you're not pissed at me? No? No, why are you at? And I do the thing where I, she absolutely wants to assassinate me by the end of the conversation because I'm, like, sitting there poking her in this. <clears throat> if someone swears at you and tells you they, they hate your guts, that's a good thing because at least you know what they're thinking. If someone says, I'm fine, you never quite know. So I love the fact that Harry's like Life sucks. Good, good. Get it all out. Tell me what you're thinking. I know you're telling me the truth. I just always think that's amusing that you want people to to, to be negative because at least you know you're getting the whole story. Sometimes they are just fine, though. I, well, I know, but you never one out of a thousand times they're not. And I always think this is this is that time, and I can't miss this. Or, so I just destroy yeah. their day <laughs> on the other nine hundred and ninety-nine oh. times. Okay, oh, good boy, good boy. <sighs> My roommate. Sicker than a dog. She comes in here. She's like, hey, Katie, I'm going to go over and hide on my boyfriend. So I had to pause my mic. And I was like, what? <laughs> you are running a fever. Your lymph nodes are swollen and your throat is sore. There's no way you're going tonight. Shut up. Love. She's like, 
oh, I guess I'm not going then. And I'm like, right, go back to bed. I'm such a mom. Okay, what? My, res- my <laughs> response was, who the hell is Katie? But whatever. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is this that Katie Stove person I hear so much <laughs> She added her, she, she friended me on Facebook, and, and <laughs> Mr. Kez is like, finally? who is this? She finally friended you? It took her that long? Wow. No, because I don't tell people I have a Facebook, because it just doesn't have question. Hurt me. Why did you, why did you get a Facebook page? <laughs> me? Yes. Um, <laughs> because Jen 2 told me to. <laughs> good, because I, I thought it was because of me, and I just wanted to make sure. No, no, I already had the Facebook page. Okay, um, because Gen 2 said, you need to get a Facebook. And I said, oh, no, I don't. And then Wolfie said, Keza, you need to get a Facebook. And I said, oh, no, But you I know don't. why Wolfie and, had a Facebook? Then, because I didn't get one. Yeah. And so Gen 2 is like, Keza, you need to get a Facebook. I'm like, okay. And then I'm like, Mr. Keza, Gen 2 says I have to get a Facebook. And Mr. Keza goes, yeah, let's do it. So we made a Facebook. <laughs> they made one together. Like, we did one together, and then it's like it wasn't really working for me because then you know it says you know it said Parsons. Oh, I just gave away my last name anyway. <laughs> and so I changed it to me. But Mister Kesa still uses the Facebook a lot, so he'll add people. And but people, isn't he just get his own? They're free. Uh, I have no idea, but he'll add people and he'll go searching for people and he put this chick on there, and I'm like asking him, I'm like, who, who is this? And he's like, yeah, it's one of those, you know, from this family that we know in Sydney. And I'm like, no, it's not. These are their names. This is not one of their sisters. And he's like, really? I'm like, yeah, really. He's adding random people. (laughs) (laughs) My brother-in-law comes on and he's like, I don't think it's him. He's from Seattle. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I hate Facebook. I just have to tell like, he doesn't live in Seattle. For some reason, he's clicked some box on there on Facebook as he lives in Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> well, can I tell you, Danielle is one of those people. My, my, my lovely fiance, Danielle. We love Danielle. She's one of those people that she, she sometimes can be like, oh, please, God, please, God, please, God, for, for, the safe, for my own personal safety, don't let her listen to this podcast. I, I can tell right now, Wayne, that you're PMing her everything I said, but, you know, please <laughs> She's one of those people that she sometimes is like, well, I don't have time for this. You know what it is? Let me back up. She's one of those people that doesn't like to do the in thing. She likes to be a little bit, she likes to be the alternative method of doing something. She doesn't like to do the popular thing. She won't do MySpace. Like, I won't do MySpace either, but, you know, no MySpace, you know, no Facebook, no large community thing. You know, I have to be different. And I'm like, well, you need to get a Facebook. Facebook is wonderful. I'm doing, I'm finding all of these people on Facebook. I don't have time to talk to people I haven't seen since high school. And why would I do that? So we have this big blowout fight over Facebook. She won't join Facebook. You know, stop telling me what to do. And I'm, uh, you're not my mother. And that's a really great fight to have. I'm not your mother. Fight. What, what am I doing? Am I, am I running to be your mother? It's like when one politician says, I'm pro-children. The other guy's like, okay, does that mean I hate children? Like, there's no win-win for me on this one. So we have this big fight. She goes to work. And at work, one of her bosses says, okay, I need you to join Facebook. Because we're doing a work-related thing. So she comes home, hat in hand, and she joins Facebook. And she's like, Facebook, I hate this. 
So, you know, lots of anger about Facebook. And then you know, a couple of days later, I go on her Facebook page. And she's, she's done got her 20 million profile. friends. No, but the thing where you put your little, you know, Danielle is making dinner. She's updated it like every four minutes. Like Danielle is going to the ladies room. Danielle is back. Danielle. And she's sending, like, I don't, I get very confused by complications. So I enjoy making new friends on Facebook. I enjoy, you know, when friends send me little emails. But when friends want me to join their knighthood, I don't know what that means. Someone yeah. Winky, Winky and Danielle just sent me, like, a lawn. I have a lawn on Facebook, and they're sending things to put on my lawn. And I'm like, well, now I have to water the lawn. And I have to, like dust the things and it's like all this work it's like the funniest thing is my mother okay check this out this is my mother what happened was my nieces moved out of town and so we connect on facebook so i say to my mum, i'm like mum, you have to join facebook because then you can see their photos because judy's living in townsville and they're leaving the postcard of this palm trees and a beach it's great because she's in queensland now which is like fantastic i don't like queensland but you know they're there and so, and my other niece has got like cute pictures of the kids and everything. So I'm like, mom, mom, join Facebook and you can see it all. And my, she comes and she's putting those little things on, you know. It's like, um, I'm trying to figure out how to use this. What am I doing here? <laughs> trying to figure out how to get rid of this in. <laughs> Still doesn't understand this site at all. It is written for young computer literati, which I ain't. <laughs> and my mother is just it won't talk to my address book. It won't find the people that I want. The whole thing is just this big complaint. And I'm like, Mom, all you do is you go on there and you click the girls and then you can look at their photos. That was the only reason. And she's going on about how horrible it is and she doesn't understand well, any of it. That was my old thing because when you look at my own Facebook in the very beginning, I'm like, why the hell am I on Facebook? I can't figure out. Because it's, you, it can be, there's so much stuff and everyone's <laughs> sending me things and I'm getting like Harry Potter legs goes and I have nowhere to put them and I have to write <laughs> thank you notes it's so complicated. No. Oh it's really no, crazy. okay. People don't realize like how like what a bizarre thing it is to be a PFW host because like I'm friends with a lot of people on Facebook that listen to the show and they send me like if they find Harry Potter flair I get like 6,000 of the same Harry Potter like it's Harry I Potter and that is flare. a very excellent reason point? why I don't tell very many people that I have Facebook I mean friend I have me. like friend me is right on there friend me and you'll find <laughs> your friends well, well you have, have, I have has just gone Chuck Norris on me I, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I kick the shit out of you is what that means. Oh, my gosh. No, okay, my mom, when my sister moved to London, my parents signed up for Facebook and uh, so that they could see her pictures and stuff from her trip. They were going to see her pictures. Well, that's all well and good, except that my sister did a lot of partying when she was in college, <laughs> and a lot of her friends put pictures up on their Facebooks. Intense. And, you know, there's a place where you just go up and you click, you know, view photos of this person, and it pulls up, like, a list of all of the pictures that have been taken by about this person. And so my parents had a very rude awakening finding out about my sister's entire, like, secret crazy party life. <laughs> oh, I should friend her. Oh, that cannot Your be Facebook right. Facebook hasn't been updated in a while, Brenna. I just went there. I don't Silly. update it very much. Like, I'll change my status every once in a while, but I really don't put a whole lot of stuff on there. And I've been kind of avoiding it because my sister-in-law, like I said, she's getting married in December, and her wedding is my nightmare. 
I swear, yeah. it's <laughs> awful. And she's, but the way she's been keeping in contact with everybody because she just moved to Memphis is through Facebook. <laughs> and so I've no. been like avoiding it so that, so that I don't have to talk to her. <laughs> well, the thing that's annoying me is I was looking for a friend of mine I haven't seen since eighth grade. So I'm looking for her on Facebook. But the problem with it is I went to, it's one of those things where if you go to a friend's, if, if you're friends with someone, you can view their friends, even though you're not friends, quote unquote, with your friend yet. You can view yes. friends of friends of friends. But it's not like on the main page when you do a search and, and it pulls up the picture. It pulls up like this really small picture. And if you click on it, it gets like 2% bigger. And I'm squinting at the thing trying to figure out if that's the person I last saw in 1997. And I'm like, that looks like... I think I see a head. That's the one thing that annoys me. It's like, is that her? And I'm like having other people come in and they're like, I think that's a guy. I'm like, I don't think so. <laughs> so I'm friending these people and they're like, who the hell are you? I'm like, I don't know. Are you my friend? It's like, I don't know. <laughs> so that's just the one thing. That happened to me. I had a friend that had a really unusual last name and she had a bunch of siblings and they all had really weird names. Like this was only the second person in the world I've ever heard of with the first name Bristol was the sister of this friend. And so I found someone with the same last name and the first name was kind of weird too. So I was like, Oh, I bet this is one of her sisters. I'll just add her and see if I can find her sister. And so I added her and all this kind of stuff. And and then like come to find out that they're not even related. It's just like some weird coincidence that they have the same weird ass last name. But are you friends now? With the- I have a question. Who is Chaz Dean? Does anyone know? Mm-hmm. Chaz Dean. Hold no on. My clue. mother is screaming down the hallway. I do. Ma, who is Chaz Dean? <laughs> Why do mothers do that? Why can they hear you? And then when you answer, they can't hear it. You have to go find. Who is Chaz Dean? He's a Hollywood hairstylist. Why is he my friend on Facebook? <laughs> I'm going through my face. No, who is the guy on my... In-depth conversation sell- about Facebook. Hold on. He sells shampoo on the Home Shopping Network. Do you have any idea why he's my Facebook friend? All right. Well, that doesn't help me. Thank you, Ma. <laughs> Goodbye. I'm like... You know when you join MySpace, there's that random guy with the white t-shirt who's your first friend? Yeah. I thought Chaz Dean was like your Facebook default friend, so I just (laughs) left him there. And I'm looking the other day, and I'm like, who the hell are you? So I'm like going through his friend list, and I'm like, this seems very peculiar. Like, I have no idea who this person is. Chaz, if you're listening to me, I love your hair care products, but... He loves the podcast and hates me now, but... Alright, I'm sorry for that vent, but I was trying to figure out who the hell he was and why I friend. I don't know. Linda's listening to this and she's drunk. Now, one of the things we're talking about in these chapters is that, you know, Melinda, you know, she went in a different direction as the canon, but she did it incredibly well. I want you to pretend for the moment that the canon never existed and we just had the movies. So picture, you know, the you know, order the book to to POE to POE, it's very seamless. It just it transitions through from one stage of emo to the other. Now picture if we went from order the movie to POE. And you have Harry marching up the stairs. Now we have something worth fighting for. And the next chapter opens and Harry's like, I am so depressed. I, I can't eat. I haven't had bowel movements in three days. I'm just <laughs> 
Like, it's just like, that's just the thing that cracks me up. It's like, in the movies, he, he loves Hermione, and he's so calm, and he's so happy. It's just so wrong. <laughs> it's like, well, we're really, it's we really don't want to go off on this, do we? Really? No, because we really. can spend... That, can, no, but that was the thing that was jumping out of me. I've already made my thing that jumping out of me. I've made well, because and I already like taped a whole peon cast on this, so I, 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 that was the one thing that we were done with. This is the point the... where we Good. get, you know, Melinda, the fluffy Harry mothering person, and she well, she broke his ribs and his arm and gave him concussion. I'm like, come on. Okay, she yeah, yeah, yeah but then she but then she lets but then she yeah. lets Jenny come and sleep in his bed. Yeah, I know. It's Okay, can I and just say one Kendall thing is. about Melinda Leo? And I know Melinda Leo, so I'm able to say this because I've had dinner with Melinda Leo. I don't like to throw that around, but I've had dinner. Oh, yes, you do. And she gave me a lollipop. I just want to throw that out there, too. Well, that's the second That's the second time this podcast that you've thrown out that you've had dinner with dinner. Linda. It's all I have. It's all I have. <laughs> So, can I just say, sometimes Melinda Ryan has Leo a bad needs- day and, and he goes to bed and he's sucking <laughs> his lo- thumb and, he, and he, <laughs> he's thinking to himself, my life sucks. And then, slowly in the, in, in the forefront of his mind, he's like, oh yeah, I've had dinner with Melinda Leo. And then he can but sleep. You know again. what? I have to throw that out there for her, too, because I need to build her back up. Because in the beginning of this podcast, we kind of turned her into a raging drunk. So, I'm building her back up. And oh, the, the dinner changed my life. So, anyway, Melinda Leo needs to run for Congress because this is what she does. This is what good politicians do. They set up a situation so that no matter what you say, you can't tag them with any like type of scandal, and they're like impervious to it. It's like John McCain. He ran as the I'm the anti-corruption guy. So anytime there's corruption, he's like, that can't be me. I'm the anti-corruption guy. So in this theoretical world, he then goes and becomes corrupt and no one will ever believe it. Melinda Leo packages herself as, I am Harry's greatest friend. I will protect him and hug him. I love him. He has no greater ally than me. And you see her at the convention accepting the nomination for Harry's best guardian. And everyone's like, yay, Melinda Leo. And Melinda Leo is, I will protect him and I will, and I will make him one of my own. I have, I have sons, I have children, and I love my children, and I hug them, and they love me, and look what I could do for Harry, and everyone's, and then they cut to the crowd, and they're all getting a little weepy, and they've got I love Melinda bumper stickers in their hands, and, and, and they're like, you know what, she, he's had a hard life, his parents died when he was very young, and he needs a mother, and they're all, yeah, so then she writes the story, and then she knocks him down a flight of stairs, and breaks every bone in his body, and then he, you know, there's kidnappings involved, and, and, and I think there was whips and awful, terrible stuff happening. But you can't call her on that because she is Harry's greatest friend. <laughs> oh, Lord. Thank I have you to for say, that, Ryan. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm exhausted now. Have a good night. Can I play, can I play Jen? He's so yes. hot. <laughs> Harry's so hot. <laughs> throwing. Actually, that... That's true, though. It's like because they're they're there, and um, is it Hermione who decides? Well, I'll stay here with you tonight because you know you need you need us to stay with you because she can't be alone. I don't know what Hermione's motivation is. She jumps into Ron's bed, and Ron's like got his jaw on the floor, and oh, and and so she says he's down above the covers. I'm like, oh, she should have let him in. But anyway, and then Jenny's a bit confused, and she's looking at Ron like he doesn't mean I should get in that bed, and 
everything. And Ron's like, oh, that's all right. He's in no condition to try anything. And then I love when Harry is like, I've been underestimated before. <laughs> I know. I love that line. That line. I love it. Oh, that line. <laughs> but there's the, there's the other... I well, still there's think the other it takes... No, stop. I'm talking. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. I was just going to say, it takes it still takes them a long time to get together. And it's like Harry right there just lets it out because he's still, you know, he's falling asleep and he's got concussion and stuff. And he lets out his, like, subconscious thought there, like completely, you know, what he's thinking about Ginny. He lets it right out there and it still takes him another 10 chapters to get on with it. I'm I like, know. I have a question. There was, correct me if I'm wrong, because <laughs> this is where I wasn't able to read it for the last couple of years. In Seventh Horcrux, there's a scene with with um, with the trio and Ginny, and they're staying in a hotel because they apparently, when they go to find the Horcruxes, they don't bring their tent with them, and they actually stay in hotels. And there's a scene where um, Harry and Ginny are going to sleep in the same bed, and Ron is an absolute like he is beside himself. He cannot he like he is spasming and his hair is falling out and he's experiencing rapid weight loss and he's so upset at the fact that his baby sister will sleep in the bed with Harry, even though he's in the room, like watching them. Like, you know, with with a stun yeah. gun. He he won't have that. Melinda's Ron, I have to say he's not very can well, I shouldn't say that because we really didn't know this part of him yet, but he loves the idea of Harry and Ginny getting together. And he even jokes about the fact that, you know, well, you know, Harry, you know, you're, you're having a bad dream. Do you want me to get Ginny? Cause you know, maybe if she climbs into bed with you and meet with me in the room, maybe it'll make you feel better. That's <laughs> exactly like, what I was going to say. Well, I'm like, okay, Melinda had a change of heart after she wrote this one. Cause in the next one, he really doesn't like that idea that much. <laughs> yeah. Because you've been sleeping with my sister, you know, you, <laughs> yeah. You know, what's your problem now? You know, well, I mean, this I've is been true, in the but room. It's like at the end of Order of the is it at the end of Order of the Phoenix where Jenny is going yeah. out with Dean and yeah, and Ron's all, you know, Ron is hinting heavily that that Harry and her and Jenny should get together. I loved Ron in that moment. I wanted to huggle him and cuddle him and was just ruffle canon? his hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. I don't remember he gives, that at all. He, where was he gives that? It, no, wait, wait, stop. He gives Harry a significant glass. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You don't remember that? Because at the end of Order of the Phoenix, he glances significantly at Harry. <laughs> Can I just tell you, I read the canon twice or two or three times, but I've read only fan fiction since. I, like, give me a test right now of what's fandom and what's canon. I'll get like a 52 on it. Like, I don't remember <laughs> half of what that. Like, literally, Seventh Horcrux and, and Deathly Hallows are interchangeable to me because I cannot remember what the hell. I remember Ginny didn't go on the Horcrux hunt after that. I'm fuzzy. It's like, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> well, they okay, can't good. for like Belinda, very canon, very canon. Ram would have loved the idea. Ram would have loved the idea. <laughs> Seventh Horcrux. I don't know what you were thinking because apparently no. But then well, Half Blood Prince canon though. It does play out in Half Blood Prince that way because Harry the whole time in Half Blood Prince is like oh, Ron's going to kill me. I'm having daddy dreams about his baby sister, and Ron does go for Dean's throat when he's kissing Ginny, but then. Harry kisses her, 
And he's like, oh, all right. And then he just makes those stupid smart aleck comments that brothers make. Oh, don't do it in front of me. But he never says anything negative about it or has any kind of, you know, and the only time he gets cross, Deathly Hallows, is because he doesn't want Harry jerking her around again. It's in the common room where they they kiss and then Ron, they they look to Ron. Doesn't Ron kind of just like shrug? Like like I got the sense at the time, like he was like, ooh, I need to make a really fast decision on this. I haven't thought about this before. Um, okay. And kind of just shrugged yeah. his shoulders. Yeah, okay. Because I missed the line from, from um, it, it's, I just thought- it's fan fiction where Ron becomes this overprotective git that has this big deal about it and everything. Yeah. And yeah. Melinda has this thing, because this is because Melinda reviews my fic. This is how I know all this stuff. She has this thing about Hermione and she has this thing about how Ron should be. And... She wrote the review for my last chapter where Ron sticks up a Harry over Ginny. And she's like, I love that because, you know, because most people write that Ron is going to, you know, he, he sort of tells off Harry or whatever. And it, you can see it in this power of emotion is that Ron is all for the Harry Ginny ship. You know, he he's a Harry Ginny ship, Ron is. Well, that would be <laughs> great if Ron had a T-shirt maybe that he would wear during the beginning of Half-Blood Prince that said, I ship Harry Ginny. And just like, <laughs> and just carrying it around. And no I one knew see, what it meant. I can see a manipulation. like, Hedwig? <laughs> Photoshop moment. I guess we can <laughs> no get Wolfie. Yeah, yeah. We could have that be a whole thing. <laughs> Hey, now you say something, someone's going to make you an icon or something for it. Oh, yeah. Rene, I know. I'll give him Rene, a 10. Newly, re- <laughs> Rene, newly returned to the PFW forum after a long absence, said something and got a banner. And I'm like, Rena, it happens all the time. She's like, what it does this? happen. I got you know, funny, oh, funny story. Oh, I got an email she, the other day. But Cleo made me a sparkly LJ icon out of my little thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Before she gets to her fun story, because I think it's really funny, has anyone noticed the fact that, like sparring siblings, Keza and I are going five rounds over who Melinda likes the best? Oh. <laughs> has anyone noticed that? Because if you noticed in the beginning of the podcast, I'm like, well, I don't know if anyone knows this, but I actually had dinner with Melinda Leo. We talked about things which I can't share with any of you, but I know them, and we had a long discussion, and you know what? We had follow-up <laughs> discussions to see if we changed our minds. And Kez is like, Ryan, that's very exciting, but I need to cut in here for a minute. Melinda Leo reviewed my fic the other day, <laughs> Revealing Life by Kezabear, K-E-Z-Z-A-B-E-R. <laughs> and I'm not sure it's found in Sigidira. And, and here's some of the things she, Melinda Leo loved about my fic, my fic, Kezabear, Rebuilding Life, L-I-F. <laughs> We're going like five. You should have been it the first time she reviewed it. I was like having heart palpitations. I thought she was going to die. I'm going to trump all of you right now. Melinda Leo podcasted on my fic. Snap! Boom! (laughs) And she made a vote joke. Melinda Leo. Melinda Leo sends me private emails and begs me for my fic. Oh! Snap! Melinda oh. Leo sends me emails every couple of days asking how my day was the day before and then shares with me her and every other member of her mailing list her daily schedule. <laughs> I'm going to get physical therapy on the old arm. Be back at three. <laughs> like she sends it to 14,000 people, but I'm like, I'll be there when your email comes in to see how your 
<laughs> so or PT or whatever the hell it is. It's just like I'm like this is weird. Why am I doing? It's just I, don't know. I just was yeah, very well, amused by the fact that Keza was doing exactly what I was doing. So I, I wasn't doing it on purpose. My <laughs> point, my point is because I look at things in the thick and I I can relate it back to what she's written because she'll be like, oh yeah, like. That's how she feels about her, because she said that somewhere else, you know. I think we can all honestly say, the writers who are are podcasting tonight, I think we can all honestly say that we use Melinda Leo as a benchmark for our own writing, and that we look up to her as a writer, and there isn't a lot that we can say bad about her, or there isn't really anything that we can say bad about her writing, and, you know, that we've just spent three hours calling her a goddess... Yeah, we've been fangirling. No, I did write a note. See, I wrote notes, right? Been, I wrote this we've note. We've been fangirling her for three hours. Melinda. Yeah, but I've, I've hey, Fangirling is a little strong, okay? <laughs> I don't want to say that I've been fangirling Melinda Leo. Because that's been not fangirl- the case. Gee. I would consider what? Get I would consider, no, I would consider Melinda Leo a peer. Snap! Oh, ego just made it. It made it. <laughs> and I are actually plotting ways to assassinate you. <laughs> so Melinda will tell us, "I am more proud of you, Keza, than Ryan, because Keza had the better assassination." Plan. Jen two pipes Hi. in and says, "She has been fangirling Melinda." <laughs> when I was younger, when I was a young author, younger author, um, and Melinda Leo was oh, writing, she. I mean, I was. I shut up. Today. I was very. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I never needed anybody. Now it stays to God. I'm not. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. You were like an author and you were writing. <laughs> Sorry. Why? Okay. <laughs> he was writing Power of Emotion and I was writing. See, I can't talk because Jen's gonna die on air. Because <laughs> we've never had that happen before with the other one. <laughs> Somebody needs sleep. Her name starts with J and rhymes with N. Um, oh my god! I don't even remember what I was saying when I was a younger author. Oh, I mean, she was one of my. She was. <laughs> I'm just, I'm going to go to bed. Seriously. <laughs> no. Um, she, she was one of your authors that you looked up to when you were yeah, younger. she was one of my authors that I looked up to when I was younger. And then, kind of, I mean, it's very hard to go back and, like, criticize your heroes. You know what I'm saying? Like, somebody that I've been reading for years, years and years, it's hard to go back and say, it's like trying to make critiques of, like, Animal House. Like, <laughs> why? Okay. I can do or, it. I can do it. I was reading, and there's this scene where Harry catches Ron and Hermione kissing. Remember uh-huh. that scene? They're on the couch in the library, and Harry walks in, and he's, like, frozen, like the deer in the headlights, and Ginny comes in, and she's, like, has a lot of fun. There's a type- I actually had a problem with that because he there's catches them kissing, and he's like, ew, yuck, I don't want to look at that. And then Ginny makes the joke, and then Harry's sort of like, oh, I have to go to bed now. And then he turns and he smirks at them on the way out. But at first, it was like he moved from being disgusted and sickened by the sight of them to smirking at them and leaving. And I didn't think that that was actually a very good transition. I didn't know how Harry was feeling by the end of it. I was a bit confused. There's see, I, I can do it. See, look, I fangirl and it. yet... I can do it. Had a she problem spelled McGonagall wrong four times. Yes, yeah, <laughs> And there's also... There a- oh, now we're trying to tear her down. Like we're like the media. 
No, I don't think so. I mean, I don't know. I think there's a lot more things in Curse of the Dam that I can constructively critique, possibly, maybe, than uh, Power of Emotion. Because Power of Emotion is like... not my, not my, well, not my very, very favorite, but one of my favorite fic of all time. So I think it's hard for me to like step back and be critical and play my usual chi card of like, well, I'm the writer and blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't know. It's I mean, I love the fic. I'm just saying that that really caught me off guard when I was doing my reread. I'm like, hang on. I thought Harry was feeling weird about it. And now he's smoking about it. I didn't really get it. I didn't think that was very well transitioned. Well, I think it's, yeah, I think it's one of those scenes where Harry came into it feeling very squicked out. And then Ginny was there, and Ginny injected something into the conversation that made Harry have kind of conversion. Yeah, that would make sense. But we, don't, but we don't see it, though. That's the, it's, it's like the thing we were saying before. If you don't see it, you don't know if it really happens. So you can kind of well, explain I think the that's way, but it's not. One of the things, the other thing that I'll snark about it, that the, the point of view does change, and it does distract me, and I get confused about who, because it changes so quickly. Mm-hmm. And it just, uh, sometimes I don't know, and I get you're reading a scene and it starts off in one person's point of view, finishes in the other person's point of view, and I sort of get left going, well, what did they think at the end of it? Because you had their thought at the beginning of the scene, but at the end of the scene you don't know what they're thinking because it switched to the other person's thoughts. She does, does, like, great big chunks from one person's point of view. She does three or four paragraphs and then she doesn't break the scene to to do another point of view, which is And sometimes I find that... Yeah, that's actually that's very any... like flashing for me sometimes. Well, Joe does that too. Didn't Joe do that in a Quidditch scene or a Quidditch match? Yes. Books. Yes. Okay, I'm not saying Joe Rowling is not. Really Joe... Yeah. Yeah, Joe Rowling is not a perfect author. I'm not saying that she is. I'm just saying, yeah, yeah. go. No, I'm just saying because I I knew that was a kind of a big deal, and she's like, yes. I'm like, okay. Apparently, this has been discussed before. Yeah. No, there was there was a scene, and if you remember, in after the end, there was a whole scene where um Ginny, because of her healer powers, she was able to tell which seeds were dead. And Rima, it was from Ginny's POV. So when you have Remus going, oh, you knew those were dead, waha, and you you wanted to know what Remus was thinking. And I remember us saying at the time that would have been very interesting to read that scene from Remus's perspective. But then he would have been like, I wonder if she's a healer, and that would have given away the whole thing. There was that moment where um Harry and Ginny are embracing in Sirius's bedroom. It's an incredibly mm-hmm. well-written scene. It's very believable. You know, the, the arguments that Harry's having with Dumbledore, and I thought it was a very believable, you know, just the relationship with Dumbledore was ha- handled very well and with Snape and with Creature. And, you know, the whole thing, he, he needs to get out so he charges into a room and then realizes it's Sirius's room and, and they embrace. There was a moment where, that was, I believe, when she started, I don't know if I get the scene exactly right, but it was when she started talking about Sirius, and she did it out of the blue, and there was a moment of silence beforehand, and I'm like, oh god, I wish the scene was from Ginny's perspective, I was thinking, because I want to know what she was thinking that, you know, why did she bring that up, and what were, what were her, her thoughts? And then a couple lines later, it was from Ginny's point of view, I'm like, oh, I wish it was just a couple lines earlier from Ginny's point of view, that would have been fascinating <laughs> to know. But it was one of those things. But I just want to apologize to Melinda for a second, um, and what we're talking about too, we're you know we're we're definitely on the Melinda Leo um, bandwagon. The thing about Melinda is that she doesn't set out to be you know this. I'm hi, I'm Melinda Leo. Perhaps you've heard of me. You know, she's just a mom who loves Harry Potter and sat down to write a story, and just like half the people on this podcast. And there's just something about Melinda, and she's just it's her impression of the characters or her style of writing or you know the the way she does it, there's something that she just injects into her story that makes people love them. And, 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 and 
I don't know exactly what that something is, or, you know, I think probably half the people in this podcast probably have just that thing, but you know, maybe Melinda got there first. So people know her name more. I mean, there's lots of different factors, but I think the thing that's really endearing about Melinda's style of writing is she writes what feels real to her and she doesn't care if it gets a thousand hits or two hits or a million hits. She, it's kind of like my style with this podcast. I mean, if I wanted people to listen to it, I'd probably make it less than seven hours long. You just, she does what it feels right to her and come what may. And I think that, I think people just like that and, and just kind of go with it. And the, and the joke I had was that when she started, you know, publishing stories, publishing POE and, and whatnot, I don't think she kind of knew what would happen. And, the, and the, her running gag was, Oh my God, Ryan, I spelled McGonagall wrong. I'm like, Melinda, I know I caught that the first time I wrote it, but it's okay. Cause I promise not to bring it up in the podcast. <laughs> Like, <laughs> trying to prove my independence. I'm like, Melinda doesn't know how to spell McGonagall. So it was, <laughs> that, that was very unfortunate, and I do apologize. And I actually typed McGonagall the wrong way into my little spotlight thing on my computer, and it came up four times. So that's not, that was there four times. Melinda, I'm very sorry. Please forgive me. And I actually just thought of something else. Can you imagine Keza and I, you know, I know we're on the other side of the world, but getting into like a screaming match over who's the biggest Melinda Leo fangirl and we're like we must go to melinda's house and find out who she likes best so we go to melinda's house and we pull up and we're like who's that we look and it's like lady chi just like painting the outside i can tell you one thing if keza comes here to see melinda leo before she comes to see me i'm gonna be pissed (laughs) (laughs) i've got this array of people who are all like no she's not coming to see you she's coming to see me (laughs) well here's the thing here's the thing i I know keza's gonna start in salt lake city and no 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 the closest thing to Salt Lake City is G. 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 <laughs> I didn't say I was gonna. Did I say I was gonna start there? I think Maybe. you should start there. It's cheaper for me. I would probably have to start in LA because it's cheaper to fly from where I live to LA than to New York. So I would have to go that way across the country. Right. He flew right. So we all finished me first. Oh <laughs> no! No bueno. What? Wouldn't the plane run out of gas if you tried to fly fly farther than <laughs> like how far into the you United can get States a direct can flight Adelaide to Los Angeles, right? Yeah. You can get a direct flight. You can go straight there, or you can go the long way and have to stop over the Middle East. Uh-huh. You have to pick don't go there. I, I hear there's a war going on. Don't go there. Don't go there. You can always and you fly go to New York. out of LA to Indianapolis very easily. Yeah, I've getting heard. from LA to Kansas City is a little bit dicey. Well, not really, because they should. Kansas is driving through a cornfield. I was trying to go to Denver, and they sent me to LA. What the? <laughs> I was so mad. <laughs> okay, anyway. Only the thing is, because Fly I have to my- New York, Julia will meet you at the airport. You'll you'll be able to catch her. She'll be the one going shalom. Do you want to wrap it up, Brian? Yeah, what, you know what we're going to do, too, because I think so much of this podcast, I think, was based around who Melinda likes the best, which, of course, was me. But, because Keza, Keza, do you agree? Okay, good. Keza agrees. Um, so, I think that what, one thing we'll do is we're going to probably spend five episodes on both POE and Curse of the Damned, and we're probably going to bounce around. And we're not, I really don't want to go completely in order, because this is, like, the one thing I've actually read before, so now I'm waving my own rule. But um, I think we're going we're gonna to cover a lot of these chapters because it's like 20 chapters of the fic. We just brushed on it tonight. So we'll definitely be covering all of – let's aim for all of POE by the next episode. Any pl- um, points you have, starting with 
Harry outing himself to Ginny while drunk at the party, because it's not the Melinda Leo fic if Harry is not totally wasted in the Gryffindor common room. That's <laughs> true. Hey, Ryan, Keza got back on the internet. Can you give her a call? We're sorry. The number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Keza, you you agree with that whole thing I just said, right? Yes. It doesn't even matter what it is. It's just the fact that you're just giving blanket consent to agree with Ryan on anything he just said. (laughs) Melinda Leo likes me best. Yes! I actually usually agree with Ryan on most things. Nap. I usually agree with Chi on most things. Let's just do final thoughts, and we'll any points we miss from these chapters, we can grab again in the next episode. So, just final thoughts, everyone. I mean, it's this is a good story. I, re- I really like it. It's one of my favorites, and it's one of a lot of people's favorites. And it's it's one of those. I think Melinda Leo is probably on the list of like first authors that people read when they get into the fandom because so many people are like, well, if you're just starting out, okay, you have to read this story. And, and it's a lot of her work and it's this and it's Seventh Horcrux. And she's one of the more prolific writers, I think, that we have in the fandom. And and it's it's not just because everybody's giving her lip service. It's because she's really that good. And I think that, you know, that's it's exciting to read her work because it's it's good and it's exciting because it's, you know, she takes so many elements from canon and she puts them together in such a good way. And, and some, sometimes it's in a very unique way. And sometimes, you know, she has, she's not perfect, but I think she is one of the better writers that we have. Agree. Agree. Yeah, and she likes me best. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. I'm trying to think of, like, things to it's say that to do, it has said. to do... It's hard to do Melinda's Vic on the podcast, I think, because when we did the Seventh Horcrux, that was us trying to, you know, say, okay, here's what she thinks will happen in the canon. You know, is that really going to happen? And there was a lot about the plot and the comparisons and the back and forth. POE, we're like, ah, that's like the first time we kissed a girl. Well, I'm really the only one in the podcast, so I think you really thought that. But it's like, it's just your first fanfic, and it's what you judge everything else against. So it's kind of hard to... One of the things I like looking at when I read back over these sorts of fix, um, and this one in particular, is at the beginning of it, Harry's decided to push everyone away because, in you know, there's um, for their own good and because he's dangerous, whatever, all the reasons that they come up with. But um, I think some authors pull it off better than others because some authors understand the motivation that Harry is for doing it better than others. And I think it's, I was reading this, I think it's really fascinating how before Harry actually pushed Ginny away, because he didn't do it a lot in Order of the Phoenix, um, he did it more in Half-Blood Prince when he started to pull, pull away. And I think that it's interesting to watch the kind of things because Melinda has this very, this way of hitting things on the head before Joe gets to them. And Melinda was like, yeah, I already knew that. <laughs> so I think it's interesting to see that because he starts doing that. Uh, and that's exactly what happens in the Canon 6 book, that Harry has those sorts of feelings and the protective feelings because I didn't notice them all that much before then. Yeah. So I think Melinda does a really good job of picking up on all the subtleties 
that that I have to be hit over the head with with a blunt instrument to see. Because well, <laughs> when she writes stories, we've all talked to her about this before, is that she'll take a story and her reason for writing is she wants to pick the canon up from where it just happened and she wants to continue forward with it. So, you know, Order of the Phoenix is written, so POE will take place right after that. And then, you know, Half-Blood's... Or written, POE. So I said POE. And then ha- no, you said POE, Half- sweetie. <laughs> POE. POE. And, um, you know, Half-Blood's written, so Seventh Horcrux will happen. So you read POE and you read Curse of the Jammed. I'm not sure if you're, if you're if anyone picked up on the on the subtleties. I know Mike had some questions about it, but Harry and Jim. Oh, imagine like that! And, you know, <laughs> she can't even hide the snark. You hear that? It's completely flammable. Like the building's on fire right now. Okay, and, because for certain people, you have to be that obvious when you're being <laughs> snarky. Okay. Shall we not revisit the whole cheese favorite story? Was a year like none other. <laughs> Which and you know what? It was a very well written fic, and Asim was a joy to work with. <laughs> But I just want to say this. So you can tell Melinda wrote this in her, like, when Melinda finally gets Harry and Ginny just, and everything's happy, I think Melinda finds her zen when that happens. Like, you know, yeah. she, you know, she and Leo just drop down the disco ball and that's it. Oh, by the way, how long did it take you people to realize that Leo was her husband? Yeah, like, I had At the no dinner idea. table with them. I'm like, your name is Leo? That's amazing. Her screen name has Leo right in it. But- I thought it was like her last name or something. No, I thought it was her zodiac sign for a long time. <laughs> I know. It's like, oh my god, your name is Leo. That's so funny. Her- yeah. And then I look like a moron, and then I'm like, okay, she likes Keza better today. But can you imagine after you know her Zen is is Ginny reading Half Blood Prince, and he dumps her. You've reached the private office of J.K. Rowling to hear your options in English. Please press 1 now. If you're calling regarding the fog typo in Chapter 1, please hang up at this time. If you're calling to request a complimentary and advanced copy of Book 7, please press 1 now. If you'd like J.K. Rowling to take you out to dinner, please press 2 now. If you'd like to know whether Snape is good or evil, please press 3 now. If you'd like J.K. Rowling to pay your income taxes for you for the rest of your life, please press 4 now. If you're calling to discuss the moment in Chapter 30 when that noble, self-sacrificing prick that you customarily love so much dumps the best thing that ever happened to him so she can no longer tell him to pull his head out of his goddamn ass, please press 5 now. And she's like, oh, I have to fix this! I have, have to, to fix this! You should have seen <laughs> the... Uh, you weren't were you you weren't in fandom or you weren't a big part of fandom um, or the Harry Jenny fandom after after Half Blood Prince were you Ryan? No, but that's what brought me in. You should so you should have seen my um. You uh yeah you should have seen the, my flist the explosions <laughs> on my flist were hilarious almost as bad now with the ending of Doctor Who. I don't know why, like, all of my friends get obsessed with the same thing at the same time, but it's true. We all do. And that follow-up for Half the Prince when Harry broke up with Jenny was quite, quite amusing in a very it's, detached it's like, way. When I wasn't busy well, being her, furious about it. <laughs> well, her first, the first words of the seventh Horcrux are, Jenny, Jenny, or whatever. Because it's like Harry crawling because he can't walk because she's gone. And I'm like, oh, Melinda, it's going to be okay. You're going to fix this. I know you're going to fix this. Just like, yeah. You okay, just- so 
I now have final thoughts. I now have final thoughts. Go. Yay! I've structured a thought. Let's make, see if it works. Okay. Run with it. Um, hurry, hurry, hurry. Shut up. Nobody likes you. Um, so... Oh! <laughs> 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 my I don't know who she... Melinda likes best, but she's at the bottom of the barrel with everyone else tonight. I got the sympathy vote. No, okay. Sorry. That's Every time somebody says something, that's like an automatic response for me. I'm sorry. I'm just chopped uh, liver. Yeah, I love Jen, too. Jen, too, I love you. you you're my favorite. Except Thank for when you. you're dogging my beta skills. Crazy. I wasn't Didn't dogging you your thought? beta skills. Hurry, I, was, run, I was just joking. Okay. <laughs> you really hurt my feelings? Not really. Because um, I am made out of stone, not marshmallow. <laughs> anyway. Are you going to finish your um, thought or not? Yes, <laughs> I'm, trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. Um, so, yeah, Melinda, big uh, big name in the fandom for a reason. Just And also not just because she's a good writer, I think, but also because she's very, you know, she's very, she kind of has that idea. She's one of the first people in the fandom to really get that idea of, like, having a author-to-fan relationship that was similar to, like, the author-to-fan relationship that J.K.R. might have with us, where, you know, she had the mailing list, and she has the, you know, you leave her a review, and she responds, and she's very, you know, as a person, she's very warm and generous and giving, not just as an author. I think that comes through in her writing, too. But as a person, as a way, you know, the way that she relates to the people that read her stories, I think has a lot to do with how quote unquote successful that she is. And she's a really, I mean, and she, on top of it, she's a really good writer. So, well, I think that's the thing too. I think if you said to her, you have an excellent author to fan relationship, she'd look even blink and like leave the room because her thing is like, hi, I'm Melinda. You want to get a bagel? Like it's, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's like, she's like, she's, is that my author to fan relationship? Like, I don't know. But. Yeah. Yep. I think my final thoughts are that she just she's just really really awesome at making her character characterizations believable and real. Mm-hmm. And she's she's just done a very excellent job in this story making Harry and the whole cast of characters real. And that makes it a joy to read. Yep. I just want to read one thing here because it's only like 3.30 in the morning, so I know no one has to go anywhere. Uh, and I'm actually reading this. This stuck out of my mind from my first reading two years ago. Uh, this is the scene from Drunk Harry in the Gryffindor common room. Ginny watched as Harry made his way towards her and then just stopped in front of her staring. She looked up at him quizzically and he began to laugh. He pointed his finger at her and said, You used to have a crush on me. Ginny's face paled. She suddenly didn't find this funny anymore. Yes, she had a crush on Harry, and everyone knew about it. She certainly hadn't done a good job of hiding it. But Harry had never commented on it before. He'd never even acknowledged he knew about it. She knew he was aware of it, but he never teased or made fun of her and didn't want him to start now. She could see the panicked look on Ron's face as he moved towards Harry, no doubt attempting to shut him up and save Ginny her dignity. Harry was still laughing, unaware of Ginny's discomfort. And now I have one on you. Ginny's heart swelled so big she thought it would burst from within her and be out loud on the common room floor. She stared at him in the daze. The intoxication she had been feeling suddenly evaporated. Harry had a crush on her. Well, I'll be damned. <laughs> that was why I love Melinda Lee. Because you, you know this This has happened to everyone in this room. Someone humiliates you in public, 
and you're shocked. You didn't think this is the type of person that would do that. You feel so vulnerable. You, you just don't know what to do or how to react. And, and you can, she doesn't write that. Melinda doesn't write that, but you know, that's what Jenny's thinking. Cause that's what you would think. It's such a believable situation. And you, you think you're being attacked. And all of a sudden he, it completely turns around and he's like, I have a crush on you. And that's, what's funny. And then the mood suddenly changes. I mean, that that's happened to everyone in this room. So Melinda doesn't need to explain it because it's probably happened to Melinda too. So that right there is what very yeah. good final thought. Really Very well, good final thought, Ryan. This is Sue Duxfoot. Melinda Leo's The Seventh Horcrux was the first fanfic I ever read. I followed it up with The Power of Emotion and then The Curse of the Damned. So Melinda introduced me to fanfiction. I don't know if I would have kept reading fanfic if these hadn't been so good. I laughed and cried, and I really felt for the characters that I had come to love. Melinda has a true gift, but not only did she introduce me to fan fiction, I joined her mailing list, and through that I found Poufwa, and I feel like I found a family. So I just wanted to say thank you, Melinda. You've made my first fanfic experience a delight, and you have helped me to find a whole new world, one that I'm very happy to be a part of. Everyone's humoring me now because she doesn't really like me. So on that note, girl Melinda. For oh, oh yeah, now she's denying it. Have it on tape. Shut up. Nobody likes you. Oh. So now, <laughs> as we have fangirled Melinda Leo and fanboyed Melinda Leo for an entire episode, next week all boats all the time. Have a good night, everybody. <laughs> good night. Bye. Bye. So hold on to the wonder that those books brought to our lives. Keep each other safe. Keep faith. Good night.